Do you own or rent your home? <laughs> sure you do. And I bet it's a ton of work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy, super easy, to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto insurance. And it's a good thing, too, because you've already got so much to do around your house and keeping things moving. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much money you can save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. You'll be glad you did, and the big man Conrad will be proud of you for saving that money. Hey, man, you ever make a mistake? Maybe even worse, ever see one of your parents, like your mom, make a mistake? They're going through a nightmare situation, and there's really nothing you can do to help them. Save with Conrad.com to the rescue. Let me explain. James in Tinley Park, Illinois, hooked us up with a five-star review and had this to say. The entire process was very easy. My mom and sister both used other mortgage companies and it was a nightmare for them. And they had so much stress and multiple closing date changes that I was preparing for the worst. I heard about first family through grilling JR. I read a lot of reviews and felt this was the best for me. I couldn't be happier. David and Diane made the process very easy. I couldn't have asked for better support. Thank you all so much. I'm a homeowner and it feels great. That's right. James is a homeowner and you can be too. By the way, as a homeowner, your house is going to appreciate most every year, which means you have a real asset and you're not just throwing your money away on rent. Even better than that, at the end of the year, you're going to get a tax statement saying, here's all the interest you paid on your mortgage and boom, you can write that off. You get something like that from your landlord. Uh-uh. He just keeps your money and you have nothing to show for it. Stop throwing your money away and go to savewithconrad.com right now. And oh, by the way, you don't need perfect credit to do this. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And by the way, even if you're not approved, we're going to get you a game plan to get you out of that apartment and into a new house. I also want to mention you don't need a huge down payment. You may have heard the old wise tale that you've got to have 20% down. That's not it. You can do this with 5% down, 3% down. We even have loan programs with no money down. Find out how easy it is to become a homeowner right now at SaveWithConrad.com. NLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Hey, tell your landlord to kick rocks and go to savewithconrad.com right now. I love talking about our buddy, Steven Singer. I'll tell you the guy, <laughs> the competition must really, really hate this guy. And, you know, I can kind of relate. He just keeps making the experience of buying a diamond better and better. And he makes it fun. I mean, Steven Singer, he is the very first to offer each and every customer the perfect price. What's a perfect price? Well, let me ask you, have you ever wondered if you're getting the best price? Are you uncomfortable negotiating? Because I am. I know that feeling. It's just, it just doesn't come naturally for me. But if you head over to Steven Singer Jewelers, you're guaranteed to get the perfect price. You'll never pay more than the guy sitting next to you. Here's a little insider tip, folks. Most jewelers mark their merchandise way up just so they can mark it down and make you feel like you're getting a better deal. You're not really getting a better deal. You just kind of feel like you are. The guy next to you may be paying less. Call him BS on that one. 
Do you want the most important purchase of your life to be based on your negotiating skills? I certainly don't. Well, that's not the case at Steven Singer because at Steven Singer Jewelers, you're guaranteed the perfect price all day, every day, 365 days a year. And that's why we trust Steven Singer. Man, he makes the entire experience of buying a diamond, something that is otherwise kind of mystical, he just makes it so easy. And you know you're getting the best price. So check out Steven Singer Jewelers on the corner of 8th and Walnut or online at IHateStevenSinger.com. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm recovering. It took me a few days. You know, we, we had some fun in Florida last week together and uh, hanging out and shooting shit. But uh, I'm fully recovered. I'm back on top of my game. Well, I wanted to talk about that at the start of the show because uh, – I guess we should give everybody a peek behind the curtain. We actually put a few episodes in the can. So we, we knew we were going to be traveling and that way we didn't have to feel rushed or whatever, but we have an address that dude, you were on dynamite again. And, uh, considering you had been a little critical here or there about some things that were in the media here or there, and you had your own take, I wasn't sure that that call was going to come, but by God, you were on dynamite. How about that? Well, and so are you, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. We're, we're, and every time I turn around now, I see Conrad Thompson on my television. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I'm i glad, you know, I was, first of all, I really had a great time. You know, Tony Khan and everybody at AEW, you know, from Chris Harrington, who sets up travel and, and, and Chris Daniels, who's now, you know, getting involved in talent relations. Um, everybody's just so on top of their game and friendly and the environment is so good that I really had a blast. And I'm, I'm most grateful as you pointed out, you know, I'm, I'm honest, yep. you know, when people ask me certain things about whether it's AEW or WWE or anybody else, I don't be, I'm, I'm not critical for the sake of being critical, but sometimes when I'm honest, um, depending on who you are and how sensitive you may be, uh, some may take that personally and, and clearly, you know, the folks over at AEW don't, and and I think the same is true with WWE. So it's it's great to be able to be honest and have fun with the product and talk about the product without having to worry about you know hurting people's feelings. You know, everybody's a pro, and that's the way it should be. That trip, by the way, we are going to talk about Greed 2001, the very last WCW pay per view. But if if you just want to hear about that, you probably need to skip ahead a few minutes because we're going to talk about some real life stuff here for a moment. Uh, I guess the other thing we should admit to here is, uh, the real plan in us going to Jacksonville, since we were going to be there is we knew that Arn might be there, but certainly Tony and Jr. were going to be there. And we had a chance to record some content for ad that I think people are going to love. Would you agree? 
Absolutely. And, and I say that with a lot of confidence because I know how much fun I had doing it. Yeah. And, and it, by the way, was really a, a sit down, a long form uh, sit down between you, myself, Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross. And it was, it was some of the most fun that I've had in decades <laughs> really, really, and, and I say that not just because of, you know we had a couple of beers, you know, and all that, and that's that's always fun, but to really be able to sit down and hear from Tony, you know, I Tony and I now have been together, you know, multiple times over the last few years, and and always love to chat and catch up and things like that, but we really got into a, a level of conversation and sharing memories and more importantly perspectives because we all see you know we're all we were all involved really in the same situations but we're all looking at them from our own unique perspectives and oftentimes people that you share experiences with see things differently than you do because they're affected differently than in my case I was right and to hear Tony and Jim you know, talking about things, you know, moments, experiences, good and bad, that we all have in common, but yet have our own unique perspectives of those moments and experiences, to me is really a gift. And and I don't mean to sound corny, but at this stage of my life, where I get to sit back and kind of look back at, at, at everything that I was involved with and the good and the bad and what could have been and all that. To be able to sit down and have that kind of conversation with people that I've known, you know, in, in Tony and Jim's case since what, 1991, man, it's, it's been a long time. These guys have been in, you know, the important parts of my life for decades. And to be able to kind of shed our egos and, and all three of us with you included, be able to talk about those experiences in a, in a way that I think it is not only entertaining, but for me, educational. I learned about Tony Schiavone, you know, in that, you know, sit down that we did. I learned a lot about Jim Ross, things, even though I've known him for decades, I got a chance to learn more about them because I think we've all kind of shed our defense mechanisms when it comes to talking about the past. You know, we, 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 we don't take anything personally anymore and we get, and because of that, we get to really dig into it and have fun with it. And, I just, I can't say enough about Jim and Tony. It was such a pleasant experience. And thank you, Conrad, for setting it up. It would have been something that I would have thought really possible. But, man, you did it, and it was a blast. And I'm really, really grateful for it. When the WWE's on-demand service started years ago, 24-7, they had, like, what they called a Legends Roundtable. So Mean Gene or somebody like that would host, and you would have Legends to the left and right, and they would talk about a singular topic. So we sort of borrowed that format, uh, and we talked about all things Turner and how things have really come full circle, uh, especially for Tony and Jr. Now they're back on a Turner station. Uh, but man, Jim Ross stole the show in a way that people are not going to forget for a long time. Fair to say. I'll, I, I am, and I hate to keep using the same word over and over again, but there's not a better word to describe my feelings about that other than. I was so grateful, lucky. We all were yeah. to be a part of that. It was, I, I don't think I've laughed that hard. I don't know that I've ever laughed that hard, <laughs> actually. Uh, 
I just, it was constant. I mean, I, I woke up the next morning and I felt like I did two hours of ab work. You know, my, my gut hurt so bad from laughing. It's just, it was so much fun. Jim Ross is, he's platinum. Yes. He, he exceeded gold a long time ago. And when you get him in the right mood and you get him in the right environment, he is just fucking classic. You, uh, you weren't able to stick around. You had to get back and tend to things back at the ranch, but the next day, and I'm going to go ahead and give a spoiler here. We had Tony and Jr. sit down and do alternate commentary on three legendary WrestleMania matches that they were not a part of either one. And they called it straight, not funny. Ha ha, but really Jr. and Tony calling classic wrestling matches. And I just think it's going to be something people are going to enjoy over at adfreeshows.com for a long, long time. But we should also mention that while we were down there, we got the, the sad and tragic news that we lost Jim Crockett and he's been a big part of what we're doing over at adfreeshows.com. We launched part one of our conversation and shared some, uh, some Easter eggs, if you will, never before seen mid Atlantic matches with Ric Flair and Jack Briscoe and a lot of other guys, but then unbelievably on the same night where Tully Blanchard got back in the ring and joined FTR and they're wearing those old classic Crockett championship belts. Mr. Crockett passed away. And, uh, as people are hearing this right now, we've just loaded part two of that conversation and, uh, an incredible little tribute video that Chris McDonald put together for us, his impact on wrestling. I don't think will ever fully be reconciled the way it should be. And I think that's a shame. What do you think? It, well, it, it is. And again, it's, you know, I, I, I'm only hesitating because I don't want to come off like I'm shilling or blowing smoke up your ass, but what a great thing you did for the Crockett family, you know, by showcasing, you know, Jimmy Crockett and doing that sit down interview and giving Jim Crockett an opportunity at the end of his life, unfortunately, to share his thoughts and his, his experiences and feel like it mattered. Mm. You know, that's a, that's a gift Conrad. And it, it's, it's a big one. And I'm sure that Jimmy's smiling now, and I'm sure that David and Jackie and the rest of the Crockett family um, are very grateful to you for that opportunity that you gave Jim Crockett. And I think wrestling fans should be, and it's one of the things that I love about your approach to what we do here and, and, and everything else that you do that I'm not involved with, but get to watch and be a part of as a fan, you know, you, you're putting, professional wrestling in an historical perspective that allows people who are new fans or younger fans who may not have heard of Jimmy Crockett or may not have heard about, you know, some of the things that we talk about a lot here on adfreeshows.com or on 83 weeks, a chance to better understand the history of this industry. And by understanding it, I think you inherently or automatically, I guess, get a chance to appreciate where we are even more, Mm -hmm. you know, learning about, you know, Jim Crockett promotions and learning about early Tully Blanchard and Ric Flair and Arne Anderson, the four horsemen, you know, and JJ Dillon, which I want to talk about in a minute um, allows, I think new fans and younger fans to have a better relationship with the product that they love anyway. 
you know, the more you understand something, the more you can appreciate it. And hats off to you and, and everybody. You've got a hell of a team, brother. And your team works really hard to put people in their proper perspective and give them an opportunity to share their thoughts and feelings. And I think anybody that's a fan of professional wrestling really owes it to themselves to, to check out the Jim Crockett, Conrad, you know, conversations with Conrad, because it, I, I got excited about it. I learned so much about Jim Crockett promotions and have a better appreciation for the opportunities that I was able to enjoy because of Jim Crockett. So I, I just can't say enough great things about it. Hey, Conrad, I want to take just a second to talk about history. You and I both love history, right? I mean, after all, 83 Weeks is a podcast about the history of the Monday Night Wars. But there's other history that I'm really into, and my family's history is one of them. As a young kid, you know, growing up in Detroit, I never really had a chance to talk to my grandparents, for example, about their story, their history, or my aunts and uncles and cousins. And as I got older, those things became really important to me. So I took an ancestry DNA test. And man, it was so cool. I actually found a picture of the house that my father grew up in as a young boy. And get this, Conrad, you are going to dig this. And anybody out there who knows me is going to know what I'm talking about here. My great grandfather immigrated from Germany as a beer meister, he made beer. That's right. It's in the blood, brother. And anybody that knows me knows that. But you can find out so much about your family history. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. There's many paths to finding your family story, whichever way you choose, whether you want to trace your family back generations with a family tree or uncovering your ethnicity with an Ancestry DNA test. It's easy to get started with Ancestry. An Ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from. And Ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover their personal stories. Hell, you could find a famous relative. <laughs> or, or perhaps you just find a picture of your great-grandma as a little girl. Whatever it is you find, it's sure to change the whole way you look at your family history and yourself. Because after all, the story of your family is really a story about you. And researching your history is a fun activity for the entire family. Everybody will enjoy it. And the stories you learn about your shared past, believe me, it brings you together in a way that not much else can. Ancestry DNA can reveal ethnic origins and can provide historical details that bring unique family stories to life. Ancestry DNA doesn't just tell you which countries you come from. It can also pinpoint very specific regions within them, giving you really insightful geographic detail about your history. You can trace the paths of your recent ancestors and learn how and why your family moved from place to place around the world. No other DNA test delivers such a unique, interactive experience. Trust me, this is easy. It's really easy to start making discoveries with Ancestry. Grab an Ancestry DNA kit and start a free trial to amplify your discoveries with Ancestry's billions of records. Start exploring your family story today. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com forward slash 83 weeks to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. That's Ancestry.com forward slash 83 weeks. Check it out. You'll really be glad you did. 
We, um, I'm not trying to, to shield the interview, but I do want to recommend by the time everyone's listening to this, go check out my Instagram. I, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson. I'm posting a, a four, just over a four minute video. So Twitter won't allow me to post it there. Uh, but we're posting a video there that that plays at the end of the Crockett interview part two. And when he passed away, Silva and I sat around our Airbnb in Florida for the better part of a day, trying to figure out what song should we use to sort of tell the story of Jim Crockett. And when we finally found it, I was like, oh, this is the one. And I got just chill bumps, you know, listening to it and sort of applying those lyrics to his life. And Chris McDonald just hit a home run. And I just think so much of what Jim Crockett did and his contributions. And I really was sort of taken aback by the timing of our interview. And I know that everyone was really excited to hear from Jim Hurd because he had almost become like a ghost in professional wrestling. Nobody has seen or heard from him, but the timing of our Crockett interview where we sat down with him on, I don't know, like December 29th in South Carolina. And then he would go in the hospital. I don't know, less than a month later and never really get a chance to leave and, and get back to normal. That couldn't have just been an accident. I mean, that was supposed to be, I mean, that, I really do believe things happen for a reason. And Somewhere along the way, you know, AEW had the idea to, Hey, let's let Tully get a proper send off. And then well, before anybody knew that, you know, this was the end for Mr. Crockett, they called and asked if I would bring those old Crockett championship belts. And it's like out of a movie, the way it all played out. And I'm really excited that we got the chance to do it. And that was really the whole idea behind, you know, conversations with Conrad, just a long form, sit down interview with some of the older legends to really tell their story. And with dignity and class and, um, let them know that it mattered, but I, I really wish in hindsight, I would have had an opportunity to do that with a guy like a dusty Rhodes or a Jim Barnett or so many other legends. And I'm so thankful that we had the opportunity to do it with Crockett. And I know that we've talked a lot about it here at the top of the show, but I don't know that everybody really is able to put him in the proper context, but if there's a few things that go a different way, he's Vince McMahon. And, you know, he's the second most successful promoter of professional wrestling in our lifetime. And, you know, he walked away from it, you know, years ago, and now he's just not a part of the conversation. And I hope that we help change that at least for a little while here, because it's, it's the right thing. And talking about the end of Crockett, and now we're going to transition into uh, talking about the end of WCW. But before we do, you wanted to mention something about JJ Dillon. Well, there's actually a couple of things I'd like to talk about before we jump in, you know, and, and JJ Dillon is certainly one of them, but the other thing that I really am grateful for in, in terms of our experience last week at Jacksonville was to be able to watch Telly Blanchard get back into the ring. Yeah. And, and obviously it dovetails into the Jim Crockett, you know, conversations and, and all that don't mean to dismiss, dismiss it, but it's just another layer of, Wow. Yeah. I mean, somebody was looking down on somebody sure. last week because number one, it was fun for me as a fan and somebody who appreciates even more today than I ever have the history and the legacy of this industry to see Tully get back into the ring. And, you know, I was able to kind of live a little bit vicariously through him because I know as, as a performer, even though I, was, I wasn't a professional wrestler, it doesn't really matter when you're a performer and you have that opportunity and you've done it for a long time and you have that opportunity to get back up there one more time and get that rush 
which you can't get anywhere else. You yeah. can't get it jumping out of an airplane. You can't give it, get it driving a 220 mile an hour car. You, you just can't get that kind of feeling that you get when you're performing in the ring. So to see Tully and in, in the ring and enjoying that moment, it brought tears to my eyes, not because I'm close to Tully Blanchard. I'm not, we're friendly. We're, we're not friends. We're, we're not, not friends, but we're just kind of acquaintances right. is the best way to say it. But that didn't matter because I could feel again, vicariously what he must've been feeling. And that's, God, talk about overusing a word here, but that's a gift, man. That's a gift that Tony Khan and AEW gave to Tully. And that wasn't even the best part. Oh, I want to mention before, I don't mean to cut you off, but you know, I guess we should give everybody a peek behind the curtain. TV days and wrestling are a long day. So you and I had to be there. I don't know, like one o'clock. So you hang around like seven, eight, nine hours sometimes. And then you do your thing. And we had sort of joked, Hey, we're sort of out of place here. These guys are really working. So when we finish our segment, why don't we just grab our bags and throw them in the back of the car, scoot over to our Airbnb and watch the rest of the show. And me being such a big fan of Tully Blanchard and the horseman and all that. I looked to you almost like my uncle Eric and said, Eric, would it be okay if we stayed and watched the next segment? And I'm glad we did because we got to see the Tully match, but then we, we scooted backstage getting ready to get out of there. And you and I got to be present for Tully Blanchard walking through the curtain and getting a huge standing ovation. And even now I'm getting chill bumps, just thinking about it. And I looked at you and you looked at me and we're like, this is fucking cool. Is it not? It was the, it, it was such, I'm getting tears in my eyes thinking about it. Yeah. And, and not because I have this amazing you know relationship with Tully, I clearly don't. Um, he's just, like I said, he's an acquaintance, but that moment was oh. such, that's just, those are moments that for me, you just don't ever forget. And you're always grateful to be a part of, and to be, you and I were standing, you know, right across from each other and Tully's coming through and everybody, the crew, all of the talent, everybody, you know, gave, gave Tully a standing ovation and the, you know, Tully's kind of a stoic dude. You know what I mean? He's not, he doesn't, you know, you don't see him smiling and laughing and cutting up and, you know, he's just pretty much a straightforward all business kind of cat. At least that's my impression of him. Yeah. And you, he was like a little kid. Yeah. (laughs) He was, it was awesome. And by the way, we also got to see, uh, one of a few different promos that Dax and cash cut boy was Dax feeling it that night or what? That was oh, real emotion. Holy smokes. And that's again, the magic, you know, when you, and it's funny because, you know, getting ready for the show, one of the first things that I always am extra critical of are promos. Right. And I guess that's because I'm an announcer or was, or an on-camera, you know, stick man. So, you know, announcing or being that, you know, Mike guy was my thing. I wasn't a wrestler. So when I watch matches, I don't watch matches and dissect and analyze, you know, the quality of a hurricane Rada or anything else. You know, I mean, I want to, I want a match that makes sense and that's executed well and helps support the story that was the catalyst for the match to happen in the first place. But I don't, I don't get granular about the details of the technical aspects of a match. On the other hand, when it comes to promos and mic work or play-by-play in color, I tend to be more critical probably than I should. 
Um, and to be able to be backstage again and watch Dax and Cash with Tully and the promo that, that he cut was so real. Real is the word. Real as real could get. And you can't fake that shit. You can't act that. I don't care if you spent 20 years studying acting. You know, I don't care if you're who you are or what you've accomplished in the world of entertainment. You cannot cut a promo like we saw unless you feel it and believe it. And that would, to me, was one of the best promos I've ever seen. It created more emotion than almost any promo I've ever seen. It's creating emotion in me right now. Damn it. You know, what's <laughs> That's crazy. How good. It was what's crazy too, Eric is that wasn't even on TV. That was, I know that was on their social media and it was a packed show. I, we're not being critical of that. It was a great show. I mean, I think one of my cooler moments from that night too, was, uh, we watched the shack match just behind the curtain behind either the, the heel or baby face entrance. I forget. Uh, but as we're like halfway through the match, here comes big show pulls up a stool and watches next to us. So there was, it was such a packed show. There was no way to fit anything else in there. I get that. But that promo, if you can go out of your way, it's on AEW social media, man, Dax was feeling it in a way that it's hard for us to properly convey here on a podcast. Now that was a clinic. And, and I think, you know, if, if you're a performer, if you're a wrestler, whatever you like to call yourself an entertainer. Um, and you're young, you're you, even if you've been around the business for a while, go look for that interview. Yeah. Go watch Dax, learn from that. And it's hard, you know, I mean, that was, it was, I guess, easier for Dax because he feels so passionately about Tully. And, and you know, we talked to the guys before the match and the respect yes. that Dax has for Tully is more than real. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. And, and he, and he, and Dex looks, I think at Tully and I'm, I'm going to steal some of the words from, from him. And I hope he's not offended by this or, or takes exception to it, but he said, man, Tully, and this is in a conversation with you and I backstage hours before when Dex said, man, if it wasn't, you know, I've got a house, I've got a family. I've I'm, I'm doing really well. And a lot of it is because of Tully Blanchard. Yeah. That's the level of respect that the Dax has for, for, for Tully. So it, I understand how it becomes easier to have that real promo, but man, you can go and you can watch that. You can learn from that promo. And when you can, and this is where the magic happens is when you're a performer and one is able to internalize the emotion and believe it. Don't just memorize words from a piece of paper that don't really mean anything to you. You know, if you get a promo, if you get a script, the art and what makes people rise above the crowd in, in terms of their performance is their ability. And it's a unique ability. Not everybody can develop it or has it. But when you can internalize those words and make them your own and convince yourself that they're real, you have no problem convincing the audience. Right. It's when you get a script and you look at it and all you want to do is memorize it. So you don't shit the bed and screw something up and you go out there and you're so focused on memorizing the, the words in a promo that there's no emotion. 
Right. It's zero emotion. And whatever emotion you're trying to convey, you know, with your facial expressions or your body language, it's just superficial and, and phony that it doesn't connect to the audience. But when you, Ric Flair does it probably better than anybody. You know, when you, Rick doesn't know it, but he's probably one of the greatest method actors that yes. ever stepped foot in the ring because he, he, he has the unique ability to, to believe that the moment that he's engaging in is real to him. That's what makes Ric Flair, Ric Flair. That's what made Dax's promo so special that night. You believe it. And I, just, ah, I could talk about that promo for an hour. Well, let's talk about another, uh, promo that a lot of people probably expected to happen at the company hotel, but it didn't happen. It was a different kind of exchange. Uh, do you want to share that? It was a private conversation you had with somebody we've talked about here on the show before. Yeah. I mean, anybody that listens to the podcast or <clears throat> has listened to Eric fires back over on antfreeshows.com. Um, I've, I've, you know, I've fired off some some pretty hot salvos, you know, in in JJ's direction, and he has uh, in in different interviews at different times over the years had some pretty negative things to say about me. But it didn't fucking matter, man. You know, I I I was in the hotel. I came down the night before, actually, um, the show on Tuesday night. I got to the hotel about six or seven o'clock, and had been flying all day long. And, you know, I had my sitting in first class, I had my bottle of water and my bag of peanuts. <laughs> so I was a little hungry and I, and I went downstairs and went to the hotel bar or restaurant and JJ was sitting there and there was a few people there, but not many. And I don't think too many people recognize JJ. A lot of the talent and people associated with AEW really hadn't gotten, hadn't gotten there yet or, or weren't in the hotel at that time. And, I saw JJ sitting there and I just walked up to him and said, Hey, JJ, how you doing? And, and JJ said, Hey, Eric, man, it's good to see you. I, I hope we can enjoy this evening. And I said, JJ, we're going to have a blast. And like 45 seconds later, we're taking pictures together. And like an idiot, I'm posting them on social media. <laughs> because I thought, you know, this is a good example of just, you know, you don't have to hang on to baggage. I, I preach that all the time. You know, it, it, it makes no sense to carry around resentment yeah. or baggage or anger, because that's a lot of energy and emotion that gets you absolutely fucking nothing. Yeah. Unless you're cutting an Eric fires back on antfreeshows.com and then you can make a couple bucks. To it. But, <laughs> but, you know, it's like, you know, you got to let that, you can't carry that stuff around. And when JJ stuck his hand out, I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. <laughs> Come on, fuck it. Let's have a beer and, and, and enjoy our time together because we may not have this opportunity That's right. yet. I may not get another invitation to come down to eight. Who knows? I may say something on this show. That's going to piss everybody off. Go, oh, fuck it. We're never going to bring him back again, which is, you know, unfortunate, but I understand that. Um, but to have that chance to sit down and just kind of bury the hatchet, whatever doesn't, did, didn't draw blood, didn't cost either one of us any money. So let's have some fun. And we did, you know, I was, you know, here we go again. Grateful for that as well. You know, just, it was a special moment for me. Didn't mean anything to anybody else, maybe JJ a little bit, but I thought this is just another step in the right direction of just getting rid of some of that baggage. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm always looking at a screen, maybe now more than ever. And whether you're an avid news watcher or you need a serious distraction, unplugging yourself is easier said than done. 
One of my favorite ways to rest my eyes and still get the content I'm itching for, putting on my Raycon wireless earbuds and listening to something great. Whether you're catching up on your favorite news podcast, binging an audiobook, or powering through your workout with a pumped up playlist, a pair of Raycons in your ears can make all the difference. And this has certainly been the case at my house. I've talked a lot here about my wife has rededicated herself to fitness. The Raycons are in the gym, jamming every day. There's no dangling wires. There's no stems to get in your way. Oh, and by the way, Raycons actually look cool. They come in a huge range of stylish colorways, but they're always comfortable in your ear for a more discreet look. And Raycons are built to perform anywhere and anytime with water and sweat resistant construction. And oh yeah, Bluetooth that pairs quickly and seamlessly. How about enough battery life to last six hours of playtime? You can unplug for a while. Maybe the best part? Raycon makes great sound accessible to everyone with wireless earbuds starting at half the price of other premium audio brands. Raycon's offering 15% off all their products for my listeners, and here's what you got to do to get it. Go to buyraycon.com slash 83 weeks. That's it. And you'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order. So feel free to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com slash 83 weeks. That's buyraycon.com slash 83 weeks. I thought it was really cool too, that we got to see JJ, you know, I don't want to say one last time, but I don't know creatively that he's looking to be on the road anymore full time or anything. And I, I don't know how many more opportunities we'll get like that. And, I, and I'm, I'm cherishing each one of them. Uh, now that we have the context that man, tomorrow's not promise. And what a reminder it was when, when JJ, maybe one of his last TV appearances ever, and Tully comes back in the ring, wearing his old Crockett belt and FTR rocking their Crockett tags the same day that Mr. Crockett passes away. It's just, it was a special week, man. And I'm glad we got to share it together. And, uh, we're going to put a bow on that conversation for now. I realize we've rambled on for the better part of a half hour. We're supposed to be talking about greed 2001, but I don't know. It felt like the end of an era last week. And, and certainly we're talking about the end of a different era this week. Uh, before we jump in at one more thing, we just covered TNA's victory road, 2011, uh, it was the story of Jeff Hardy and TNA and, uh, well, a tragedy, if you will, but he pulled the nose up. He's coming out on the other side in, in, in a happy place and a much better place. And I got really good feedback from last week's show. what did you get Eric? I, I did as well. You know, it was, again, we we're being honest and I, I I'm often, <clears throat> I guess I'm getting used to it. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't say I worry about it anymore. I used to more than I do today. But we have these conversations and you and I, you know, because this is a long form opportunity to talk and discuss different things from different angles and, and, and certainly levels of detail that you don't get to do in a two minute interview or, or anything like that. And oftentimes, you know, I'll say something to try to illustrate a point or give context. And sometimes they're colorful, you know, and they're, they're easy sound bites to pick up and run with if you're writing about things and wrestling or whatever. Um, and I thought, Oh man, people are going to, they're going to clip this to death. They're going to take certain things I said and, you know, make it sound different than I really intended it. And that didn't happen. You know, I, and, and hopefully I made it clear that I have nothing but immense respect for Jeff. I have more respect for Jeff Hardy now than I did 20 years ago, Sure, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, because not only is an amazing, is he an amazing performer? There's has achieved so much, 
but he he has dealt with. I'm not going to say he overcame it because I think when when you're an addict, you don't really overcome it; you manage it. And managing it and staying clean is probably one of the harder things to do in life, unfortunately, for some people. And Jeff's done that. Yeah. And there's not a lot that people can do that will gain more respect for me than being able to look in a mirror and realize they got to change their life and, and tackle this demon called addiction. And Jeff's done that. But along the way, I had some pretty harsh things to say about Jeff in that era on that night, you know, uh, of victory road. So I'm, I'm glad that the audience appreciated it. I hope Jeff does. Um, if not, I did my best, but uh, it, it, I got a lot of positive feedback about it. We're going to be getting a lot more positive feedback. We've got some uh, tricks up our sleeves, so stay tuned. But for now, let's finally jump into it. Enough teasing greed 2001, the very last WCW pay-per-view Eric, you watched this show for the first time in 20 years. Uh, what was going through your mind? I know you get up early to watch these shows. So you got up at the crack of dawn this morning. It's probably still dark outside, made your coffee and sit down for the last WCW pay-per-view. What's going through your mind as you, you click play, are you nervous, anxious, excited, regretful? What's that got to be like from your perspective? None of the above actually, you know, and it was four 30 this morning when I sat down with my coffee and my dog, Nikki sitting next to me and, you know, sat down to watch the pay-per-view and, you know, I'm not, I, I know this may sound, um, strange to some people, but I'm, I'm not emotionally attached to any of the good or any of the bad about WCW. Partly because of this show. I've right. had enough time now with you as my therapist, I guess, <laughs> to, to learn how to look back at WCW and, you know, embrace all the great things that we did and recognize them. And yeah, I'll pat myself on the back occasionally for some of the unique things that we've done that really has changed the industry forever because there was a number of those things, but there's also a number of really dumb things that I did and we did collectively but I'm able to kind of look at them almost like a third person that wasn't really involved. So I have a healthier perspective now than I probably ever have thanks to this show and, and, you know, you dragging me through it for the last (laughs) couple of years and me learning how, Um, but so I wasn't emotionally, you know, uh, affected one way or the other. Um, You know, I, I did analyze it the way I always do. You know, and it's one of the reasons why I have a hard time sitting down and watching wrestling on television because I don't watch it to enjoy it. I can't help it. I break things down. I analyze. And I don't think that's how you should watch wrestling. I think you should just watch it and get lost in it and escape. That's how it's fun. Yeah. Not, you know, analyzing camera angles and audio levels and, you know, content of promos and the quality of you know, wrestling moves and things like that. At that point, it's a job. Yeah. And usually by eight o'clock at night, I'm not looking for another job. Yeah. So uh, this time I, you know, I sat back and I watched it. I tried to be as objective as I could because yeah. it's easy, easy for me sometimes to not be. Um, so I, I tried to be objective and, and, you know, I didn't have a strong emotional feeling one way or the other about it. Boy, I hate to transition from that into this sentence, but here's a quote from the observer Bischoff's thoughts were based (laughs) on the idea that he didn't want to present a stale product and allow the fans to get more apathetic by basically struggling along with no storylines and no stars until the planned relaunch in may 
most likely the ratings from the past week have played a part in the decision because if the ratings would have held steady at a 2.5 level to build for a relaunch, it would have been acceptable. But when the February 12th rating came in, tying a record low for a nitro live show in the regular time slot, which was 2.08, that was no longer an acceptable level to stay at, or even probably drop from since the storyline they were building towards for better or worse required keeping some of the biggest stars on the sidelines for nearly two more months. Do you remember there being some, uh, nervousness about, Hey man, I know we're going to hit the reset button in may, but can we even get there? If this thing continues to tank now that that is, that is fiction in the distorted, deluded and handicapped mind of one Dave Meltzer. Um, he he's so lost in his own bullshit always has been, always will be, that that kind of editorial, I guess, is what it is, because it's just his opinion. It's not fact. None of Nothing that Dave said was fact. It was Dave's own fantasy world in his head. There was no, there was, trust me, I can promise you that the principles involved in any decision about when to relaunch was myself, Brian Badal. Actually, it was just myself and Brian Badal. Steve Greenberg really didn't have anything to do with, with those discussions. He was more on the business side of things. Um, and there were no conversations that sounded anything close to that. So I don't know where Dave even comes up with these fantasies that he turns into fact and then distributes for 10 or $12 a month to people who think he knows what he's talking about. He never has, he never will. He's just a deluded um, dirt sheet writer with no credibility. And this is another example. And I don't mean to be hateful about it. I don't mean to be, and I'm certainly not angry about it, but it's just one more example of whether it's Dave or anybody else, you know, when it gets into that kind of opinion dressed as fact, you know, you should throw up red flags because I guarantee you nobody of any consequence of any consequence was having any conversation with Dave Meltzer. This is a shit he made up as he often does. All right, Conrad, let's take a quick time out and talk about our friends over at NetSuite. You know, if you're a business owner, you absolutely do not need either Conrad or I to tell you that running a business is tough, but you might be making it harder on yourself than necessary. Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down anymore, man. It's time to upgrade to NetSuite. You can stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch all the spreadsheets and all the old software that you've already outgrown. You know it. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite's by Oracle, the world's number one cloud-based business system. NetSuite gives you visibility control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need, all in one place, instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million dollars or a hundred million dollars in revenue, save time and money with NetSuite. Join over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash 83 weeks. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash 83 weeks. One more time, netsuite.com slash 83 weeks.
Well, I feel like a dummy even asking this question, but I do want to ask, were you communicating with Dave at all during this period? Because it does feel like he could have been someone that could have been a resource in some way or another for you, especially if you're about to do the takeover. And and if the answer is no, did you ever have open lines of communication with Mr. Meltzer? I I wasn't certainly not talking to to Dave at this point. There was a point in time when I thought, all right, he's, he's either going to continue to hurt the product and the business, or he can be an asset to the product and the business. And I think the legitimate bitch that a lot of guys, whether it was Meltzer, Wade Keller, Jason Powell, Dave Shearer, you know, Bruce Mitchell, you know, any of the people who were writing about wrestling at the time, and there were others, um, the legitimate bitch they had is, Hey, if you don't share information with us, we've got nothing else left to do, but speculate. That's, that's a legitimate bitch. If they don't have access, what are they, they going to do? They're going to make shit up right. basically or guess. So I thought, okay. And, and this was because of Zane Bresloff, really. Zane was the one that tried to broker a relationship. And I did, you know, for, and I don't remember what year it was, but there was a, a brief period of time when I thought, okay, I'm going to give access. And I did not just to Dave, but to others. And then even with the access, you, I still was reading the bullshit. It was like, fuck it. You know, we tried, it doesn't work. He's going to write whatever his mind comes up with, whether it's true, not true. There's always an agenda with Dave. He spends more time on social media today, blocking people who disagree with him that he probably does posting things. Um, He's a miserable fuck, but I tried. I, I gave it my best shot and it didn't work. It wasn't worth my time or effort. He was going to continue to lie, distort, mislead and make shit up. So I thought, well, why would I waste my time trying to nurture a relationship with someone who's not going to change the way they do things, even with the access that I gave them, which is what they all bitched about. So it was a short lived experiment. And I, I think the WWE probably tried the same thing at various times. And it's some people can't be helped. Meltzer would also write no doubt with TBS and TNT having to do make goods on advertising due to the declining ratings. The networks would also be averse to shutting down for the same reason. Tom Warner vetoed Bischoff's original plan to shut down starting this week. Bischoff at press time said he would make a final decision later this week. And another main factor would be based on exactly when the closing of the fusion purchase of WCW is finalized. Since Term Warner nixed the previous shutdown plan, do you remember pitching a shutdown prior to this pay per view? No, that's all fantasy. Okay, that's all fantasy and make. It's just make believe. It's just something. Again, I'm I'm so tired of beating up on Dave because he's. It's too easy. He makes it too easy. He always has. Had I had once Fusion came in, once we entered into a letter of intent. If I would have said, let's shut it down now, Time Warner executives would have thrown a fucking party. There was no make good. What Jesus Christ? Oh, okay. Nothing, nothing even remotely close to that was true. In fact, it was the opposite. We could have pulled the plug and gone into shutdown mode any time we wanted. Turner executives couldn't wait for us to shut it down. 
They could wait. How tough would it have been just to slide in a movie out of their library into that same time slot and probably get, if not as good of a rating, because, you know, it's easy for an idiot like Mouser to show a horrible rating, 2.2. Well, guess what else was delivering 2.2s and 2.5s on Turner on TNT at the time? Oh, I don't know. Fucking nothing. So other than sports, obviously playoffs. And even then it was close, but the CPMs, the cost per thousand, the value of an ad inside of wrestling, even at a three or a four rating was probably less than any movie you wanted to put in that time slot um, during that period of time, because wrestling was still not a place where most advertisers wanted to be. Right. So in terms of, is, is it, Dave gets, here's the thing with guys like Dave, not just Dave, but people like him, they have enough, they have a little bit of knowledge, just enough to write stupid shit like that. And people believe it because when, when a writer, anybody talks about something like a make good, well, that's an inside term that people in the television industry and the advertising community would certainly understand. And it makes Dave sound like, or anybody else that writes it, like they're part of that industry, even though they're not. And they really don't know what they're talking about. They really have no context. They don't understand the big picture. They understand just enough of it to make themselves sound like they do. And that was the case here. Had had Brian Badala or myself or both of us gone to Brad Siegel, because he was the Turner executive that we were dealing with, and said, hey, we're going to pull the plug on this tomorrow. Brad's response would have been great. I got a whole library full of movies I can put in that spot. We'll do fine from an ad sales point of view. As far as make goods go, make goods, they don't care where they are. Right. They don't care if they're in wrestling. They don't care if they're in fucking Andy and Mayberry. They don't care if they're in, you know, the hottest movie of the week. They just want to, all you're doing is, you know, counting eyeballs. That's what a make good is. And they, you know, Turner could have easily plugged a movie in out of their library at no cost and done as well or better than Nitro would have if we would have been delivering a three. There's a fact for you. And it flies in the face of the fantasy kind of analysis that you hear from so many people that were writing about wrestling at the time who really didn't know their ass from a bag of fucking rocks when it came to the actual business of the wrestling business. Do you remember, were you at this show? No. Were you... Uh, involved in any way in creative, like do you get some sort of a script or a run sheet or anything at this point? I got a run sheet, you know, um, I wanted to know what was going on, not from a, uh, a creative, you know, approval process, you know, perspective. I I just wanted to be aware. Right. Um, I, I had given some general direction to Ed Ferrara who was still there. Um, and a couple other people who were involved um, but it was just like, don't do anything stupid. You know, as, as long as you don't do anything really freaking stupid, it doesn't really matter right? because we knew we were going to reboot anyway. And the hope was by the time we rebooted and the way we, we rebooted that people will pretty much have forgotten about everything that had happened over the last six or 12 months. So uh, as long as they weren't doing anything really stupid, I, didn't really care. And I wasn't involved. I didn't want to be involved. 
wasn't appropriate for me to be involved. I wasn't an employee at the time. I wasn't really, I wasn't even an independent contractor at the time. I just was managing the acquisition process more than anything else. I hate to ask a silly question like this, but do you remember who would have been providing you those run sheets? Probably Ed Ferrara would be my guess. It's a guess. Yeah. 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 It, it could have been, you know, Janie was still there. I think Janie angle, uh, it could have been Janie. It could have been Annette Yoder, uh, possibly, um, you know, I don't remember a specific moment when someone handed me something, sure, they sure. Could have emailed it to me or faxed it to me. Right. Um, but I don't remember Well, Janie Engel, that's a name we don't hear very often. You think she's got some stories? <laughs> Janie Engel knows where there are more bodies buried <laughs> and how those bodies ended up getting buried than anybody that I know. Dust, Janie was Janie was Dusty's, you know, when, when I got to WCW, Dusty Rhodes was, he was the head booker, if you will. I hate to use that term because it's so inappropriate anymore. It's, but it's the vernacular that people understand. But Dusty was the guy creatively. And Dusty had a lot of people around him that Dusty trusted, as you need to have. You know, you need to have people around you who can be honest with you and not just blow smoke up your ass, but, you know, also pull you aside. And say, nah, that's not the best idea you've ever had. Right. And Dusty's group was Mike Graham, um, Grizz, Jake Roberts, dad. Um, for a while, Magnum was was a part of that. I spent a lot of time talking. I got to know Magnum T.A. because of that. Um, relationship that he had with Dustin, or excuse me, Dusty. Uh, who else? Janie certainly was right in the middle of all that. So Janie, Janie saw it all, man. She saw it all before I got there. She ended up being my executive assistant. So she saw all of the good and all of the not so good. Yeah. You know, um, she's seen it all and she's a sweet person. And I don't know if you could ever get her to talk, <laughs> but if you could, there's a lot of people, including me, that would be going, Ooh, I hope she, I hope she doesn't <laughs> share that. <laughs> I asked about, you know, sending over the run sheet or, or creative because you and I sort of freestyled about who we thought booked, uh, the January pay-per-view. And, uh, of course we had to come back and issue an apology to Mr. Russo, because I think we both, uh, sort of forgot that he had been, he was gone by that point, but I, I heard from bill banks after that episode, uh, bill banks, another name that we don't talk a lot about in WCW. What was bill's role? I don't even know, man. I didn't work with bill close enough. He was a Vince Russo guy. He came in with Vince. Um, I know. I'm really digging back now a little bit. He did some uh, stuff with the website and the magazine. Yeah, he was he was very active in the website, but I also saw him at television a lot. So yeah. I don't know if he was a part of the creative team uh, or not. I, I I can't tell, and I don't mean any disrespect to Bill, but it was a minute ago. So um, I don't really know. And like I said, I didn't really work with him closely, so I, I don't really know what his role was. Well, Bill hit me up on social and said that, P.S. Johnny Ace, Ed Ferrara, and Ricky Santana booked the Sin pay per view. 
So I assume those folks still probably had a hand in what we're talking about today. Greed. Would you agree? Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Ricky Santana, another name we don't hear a ton about. You got any Ricky stories or memories you can share with us? Uh, zero. Okay. None. Let's no keep... disrespect to Ricky. I know he was a part of WCW on and off for quite a while. And, uh, I remember watching him wrestle, but I had no real relationship with him at all. Let's, uh, let's talk about some other talent, uh, that's in the newsletter, David cash, who we know as kid cash, Jason Broyles, who we know as easy money and Jim Mitchell, who was the sinister minister from ECW. We're all at the Nashville pay-per-view looking for work. Cash didn't endear himself to anyone, but is expected to get a tryout. Mitchell's, Mitchell's chances of getting a job are slim as Bischoff didn't think highly of him as a talent when he was there before. And he thinks less highly of him because of comments he's made about Bischoff since leaving. Do you remember having some quote unquote heat with, uh, the sinister minister, father Mitchell? No, I just thought his character sucked. I just didn't think it was, he, 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 he was, he was, there was absolutely no added value and I think history has proven me right. <laughs> what has he done? You know, I mean, you either have talent and you rise to the top and you get those prime time, big time opportunities, or you're a wannabe. And Jim Mitchell has always been a wannabe. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of people that fall into that category, you know, that are still somehow involved tangentially into the industry today that just, they just love the business. They want to do it. And if you're doing it just, for fun and because you enjoy doing it. That's great. By the way, nothing at all wrong with that, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're qualified to be a primetime player. And Jim Mitchell was just not, he was a hanger on that was able to kind of move his way into opportunities to do his gimmick. And I, I thought it sucked. Then I look back and whenever I see clips of it now, I haven't changed my opinion. By the way, it really didn't have any talent. The word of the day, boys and girls, what'd you call it? Tangentially. I don't think I've ever heard that on a wrestling podcast before. I, I know, you know there's word. a lot of things that you're going to hear on our <laughs> podcast. If you're a new listener, you'll, you, you, because we, here's the thing about 83 weeks in, in our audience, we have the most sophisticated yes, and the most intelligent wrestling audience of probably any podcast out there. People listen to us because they want to hear credible, sensible perspectives on the industry, not, you know, some nerd's opinion or some whiny bitch, you know, that never really made it in the industry and has nothing but negative things to say about it. You know, I have been to the mountaintop. Yeah. I have played on the biggest stage in the world at a very high level. I have achieved things that nobody else in the industry has achieved. I have impacted this industry in ways that we still enjoy today. And I've also, and I've also fucked some shit up. (laughs) So, (laughs) So that provides a very unique perspective and our audience can walk away knowing that they have knowledge and an insight into the industry because we're presenting it in an honest, accurate way. And in the, in the course of that, we're going to use words and terms that dirt sheet writers, a wouldn't know how to spell 
and B, wouldn't know what they mean if they could Google it. So, um, yeah, it happens from time to time. Tangentially is is a good word, I think. I like it. Let's use it more often. It's a great word, and we'll probably have it on a fucking shirt by the time you hear this. But, (laughs) by the way, when you... I was going to wear my shenanigans (laughs) shirt, and I forgot. Fuck. Wait. Fuck. I promise I'll wear it next week. I got, I got it in my closet. I set it out knowing we were going to do this this morning. And I was so excited about coming out here and doing this podcast that I threw on. I didn't even take a shower this morning. Thank God my dog doesn't mind. Where is she? I guess she does mind. <laughs> Never mind. But I was going to wear my shenanigans shirt. No. Chaney no. shenanigans. Please stop. Please. And, and, and I forgot to do it, but I'll wear it next week. I promise. I, just so you know, don't get excited and think you can buy that terrible shirt that Eric's talking about. I told Ryan, if he made it and put it for sale, he was fired. So he just sent you a <laughs> one-off because I'm trying to get that thing shut down. And I accidentally just opened Pandora's box again there. Adfreeshows.com is wrestling nostalgia, podcasts on video, and live interactive experiences. It's also a great way to get to know the voices and characters of your childhood, but it's so much more. The Podfather, Conrad Thompson, has recorded over 25 Ask Conrad episodes where he answers your questions from wrestling to mortgages and everything in between. It's your opportunity to get inside the head of the most powerful man in wrestling, not named McMahon or Khan. Conrad often says we are more than listeners. We are community, even family. Take a listen to the recent interaction between the Podfather and one of our top guys, Antonio. And by the way, Antonio, thanks for all your great questions. I feel like you bring the noise with great questions every single week, and I really appreciate your support. That makes my job a lot easier. Because sometimes I'll do a bunch of research on a show and I'll have some folks help me do some research on a show. We'll have a blind spot, but guys like you and Rajiv and a wrestling historian, I mean, there's always a handful of you folks who always, I'm like, oh, I know if I see a question from him, it's going to be a good one. And you're one of those guys. Thank you for that. Oh, I appreciate it, man. I definitely do. Hey, hey, Conrad, day 22 sober for Antonio. That's awesome, man. Keep up the good work. Congratulations. That's a big deal. Become part of the family now. Make the decision to become a member of ad-free shows and enjoy Ask Conrad and so many other exclusive shows and events. So sign up today. Join the fastest-growing wrestling community over at adfreeshows.com. By the way, when you went on a little rant patting yourself on the back about I was at the top of the mountain and blah, 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 I was waiting to slip in hashtag humblebrag, which probably be a shirt but then you <laughs> totally redeemed yourself in typical eric fashion oh and also fucked up a fair amount of shit it's so good <laughs> that's why i love doing this show with you is so many people look back at their career with rose-colored glasses and there's other podcasters who would convince you that they're the world's you know greatest wrestling genius of all time but never actually made any money as a wrestling promoter and I don't know. It's just fascinating that the guy who really did put Vince McMahon on his ass and create a lot of jobs and, you know, spark the industry in a way very few ever have is also, you know, man enough to say, okay, I fucked this up. Wish I had that one to do over again. And you almost never hear that from those folks who can't wait to puff their chest out. So I enjoy doing the show with you for that reason. Well, I'm glad I don't mind beating myself up every once in a while. Self-flagellation. There's another word. Hey, Dave, write it down. Google it. Self-flagellation. 
Um, it's not what you think. If you're listening and you've never heard the word before, there's nothing provocative about it. But yeah, I'll beat myself up every once in a while. Uh, let's talk about some ladies that some of our listeners probably self-flagellated to. Miss Jones, <laughs> Madeja, and Stacy Keebler. Uh, it's in the observer here that they are now all paid on a per night basis. Um, I'm fascinated by that because over the years, boy, WCW got sued a lot for discrimination in this way or that way. Do you remember there being some sort of edict about, Hey, we don't need as many women, so let's not make long-term commitments. Or is this all just rumor and innuendo? I, you know, I don't know. Uh, again, that would have been a decision that was being made internally at Turner Broadcasting at a level that I would not have been involved with at that time. Now, two or three years prior to that, I would have been involved in it. It would have been, you know, right front and center on my desk. Right. Um, but I wasn't at that time. So my guess is, you know, Turner Broadcasting was trying to save every nickel they could going sure. into the transition uh, or the sale and just was trying to stop the bleeding in any way possible. And somebody made that decision, but I was not involved with it and not even aware of it till just now. Well, it makes total sense that they're trying to, you know, save all the money they can. Let's talk a little bit about some creative stuff. I know we've touched on a little bit, but again, I got to bring it up. It said here, Eric Bischoff made the decision late in the week to significantly rewrite uh, the largely completed nitro for February 26th and bring back Booker T. This completely went against the long-term angle of having all the top baby face stars put on a shelf and be brought back in mass for the new beginning. When the storyline aspect of the new owners taking over takes place to try to get some strong startup momentum and turn the company around. Do you remember there being a call to say, okay, we're going to hold off on everybody else, but we want to bring back Booker T and specifically was that your call as best you recall? You know, I don't want to repeat my. Okay. Comments that I made earlier about anybody I got wrote it. about wrestling at that time. So I'm just going to let that one slide. I'll asked and answered your honor. Got it. Got it. <laughs> as, as they say in the courtroom, asked and answered objection, your honor asked and answered. Let's, um, let's bounce around a little bit. I do want to bring up, um, uh, something that was discussed here. Uh, there have been snags in the negotiations in recent weeks. Fusion originally agreed to a purchase price in the neighborhood of 70 million, but lowered the offer to the $50 million range based on the January books, which showed another unforeseen downturn in company income below the devastating final quarter of 2000. There are estimates that the company at this point is losing anywhere from five to $7 million a month because the company is losing so rapidly shutting down, running shows and doing TV and even pay-per-view, even while continuing to pay current salaries would cut down on that monthly loss figure temporarily. In addition, with the reorganization and the hierarchy of the AOL Time Warner with merger, uh, Steve Heyer, one of the keys in negotiating the deal from the Time Warner side, is no longer with the company. Do you remember Steve? Can you tell us about Steve? That's a name we haven't heard a lot in this story. Yeah, Steve Heyer was, I never really worked uh, directly with Steve. Steve was, I could be wrong about this. Um, but I think Steve was the head of Turner international. Okay. Not, not just for WCW, but all of Turner content. Copy. I believe that was his role. Um, I think he started moving up that food chain, that corporate food chain quite a bit. Wasn't Steve hired the guy that ended up going to work for WWE. Uh, Is that the guy back and look at that? Yeah. We need to look at that. 
are you, are we suggesting that that was the guy who was also a fraternity brother? Yes. Oh, wow. Well, I'm not suggesting it. I'm questioning it. I'm not sure if that was him or not. It may have been, but again, those were I, I, really, I, I, I know some people that listen to this podcast love it when I go off on Meltzer because I hear that every day. I don't. And I, I know some people don't. I don't like So that. I'm, I'm going to try to find that balance here Thank and you. just be as honest without being aggressive, I guess. Um, no, that's not the same guy. Uh, the, Steve Heyer is now the chairman and CEO of Haymaker Acquisition Corp. He was also the president and CEO of the Coca-Cola Company. Oh, that's it. CEO of Star Wars Hotels and Resorts. So, uh, wow, this dude's a major player. If you're the COO and president of Coca-Cola, Lord. Yeah, it it was a big damn deal. But all of the, again, you you would think by listening to what, what's his name wrote, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call him what's his name from now on. So I'm not plugging his dirt sheet. Um, what, when he wrote what, what's his name wrote or when what's his name wrote, what he wrote, um, <laughs> you would think, you know, by reading it, that he was sitting in on the meetings itself or right. guys like Steve Heyer or Brad Siegel were communicating with him and they weren't, this is again, fiction. Um, the offer from Fusion Media, I believe, was $67 million. The letter of intent was signed. The number didn't move around a lot based on anything. The acquisition was what the acquisition was. And you know, the fluctuations in revenue had nothing to do with you know, Fusion Media wasn't buying WCW revenue. And there's there's the part that is you know fundamentally at, at the just the core of the fraud that was what's his name's dirt sheet at the time. Fusion media wasn't buying revenue. They were buying intellectual property and they were buying an opportunity to be on national television. Right. So cash flow in the accounting, which was really fucked up by the way, anybody that, you know, here, go read Guy Evans book, the incredible rise of WCW nitro Go read that book. Yeah. Guy Evans' book does a much better job of explaining what really went on with WCW accounting during this period of time than I could ever do because Guy Evans actually interviewed people that were involved. He actually had real conversations with people, not Steve Heyer, I guess, but like Steve Heyer, who were on a day-to-day basis involved in making the decisions about WCW during this time. Whereas what's his name sat in a room and made shit up. So rather than try to guess, you know, I would encourage people to check out Guy Evans book and I don't make a penny off of it, by the way, neither do you Conrad. It's just a great source of real information by a real journalist who really did have real conversations with the real people who were really involved, not some, you know, basement jerk off fantasy. Oh, that was rude. Yeah, Uh, it's true though. I hate it. Sometimes things that are so true happen to be rude. And in this case, you know, the subject matter, it, it, it's true. You know, this guy sitting in his fucking basement, jerking off, making shit up and selling it for $10 a month. Great dig. If you can get it. Speaking of $10 a month, adfreeshows.com is only $9 a month. Check it out. But we don't make shit up and, and, and I'm not in the fun. basement. I'm off the garage. So it's a little different. Hey, let's talk about the show. 
Uh, the readers of the wrestling observer gave this show 64% thumbs up 22% thumbs down and uh, 14% thumbs in the middle. So while that doesn't sound like that's a home run show, I can't believe I'm saying this as a real sentence. It actually got a higher thumbs up rating than AEW's most recent pay-per-view, which I don't think we would have ever said that was possible. Uh, the best match poll, everyone agreed. It was Mysterio and Kidman taking on Elix Skipper and kid Romeo. The worst match, it was uh, Sean Stasiak and Bam Bam Bigelow. That of course, according to, uh, the readers of the observer, we've got 5,030 fans here. So we're about three quarters full, only 3,551 were paying fans and there's $117,930 paid at the gate. Man, we're just a few years removed from 97, 98, but, and those are respectable numbers. You know, and when you were first taking over WCW, that would have been considered high fives all around, but considering the success and the quote unquote mountaintop you referenced earlier, this has to be disappointing, right? Not for me. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, it's, uh, I mean, it was, it was what it was. I didn't look at it as disappointing or a success or somewhere in between. It just, at this point, it was just putting one foot in front of the other, getting things done that needed to be done and preparing for, you know, an acquisition in a relaunch. So I, I really, I didn't pay any attention to the revenue. It didn't really matter to us or Brian Bedell, despite what, you know, some people may have written in their rag sheet, but uh, no, I didn't, it, it's sad, you know, when yeah. you look back and you look at anything that was at one point printing money and a year or two or three later is, you know, limping along, just about ready to fall into the ditch and die which is where WCW was at this point. Um, but it didn't affect me personally at all. Hey, so check this out. This is considering the way we started our show today, talking about history and legacy and longevity in wrestling. Meltzer would say if there was a fitting in, so to speak of the final WCW pay-per-view event, it was seeing Ric Flair and dusty Rhodes in the ring, getting by far the biggest crowd reactions of anyone on the show. Flair and Rhodes were the two top single stars when Turner purchased the company in 88. Although who would have believed in 2001, they would oppose each other for the first time ever in a pay-per-view match. Their legendary matches, particularly in the mid eighties came before the NWA promotion got pay-per-view and flair who just turned 52 was still able to carry Rhodes, by far the biggest star from the regional days of Florida wrestling. Now 55 flair and Jeff Jarrett bumped for his trademark spots during those brief moments in the ring. And as good as the main event came across on TV, perhaps the saddest end of the show was that as the two were both bleeding and killing each other to make a match, fans were leaving in droves, paying no attention because they had already seen flair and dusty flair and dusty, man, that just, that goes together with wrestling, like peas and carrots, doesn't it? It was magic. And I was laughing pretty much, you know, I finished reviewing the show about 45 minutes before we were scheduled to get on this morning. So I, you know, finished getting dressed, got my coffee, went outside on the deck with the dog, and I giggled like a little girl. And it was, I was giggling over Dusty and Flair. Yeah. And here we go again. You know, where did the kiss my ass club come from? <laughs> it didn't come from the mind of Vince McMahon. I thought it did up until this morning. And by the way, I didn't watch this pay per view when it happened. So this was the first time that I saw it. Um, I didn't know 
that Dusty Rhodes invented the Kiss My Ass Club, or at least the Kiss My Ass Match, which turned into the Kiss My Ass Club. It was awesome. Awesome. But I felt the same way, you know, seeing Flair and, and Dusty together. Look, and part of it is because we all miss Dusty now. Yep. You always appreciate people and moments more once they're gone than sometimes we do in the present while they're right in front of you. Yeah. It's unfortunate part of human nature, but I guess it's true for all of us to a degree. Um, so I guess my emotional reaction to seeing flair and dusty together was probably heightened by my own sense of nostalgia yep. and my feelings about dusty, but it was fucking awesome. Yes, it was. It was awesome. Dusty was so, I was so happy to watch that this morning. It really had made my day. No matter what else happens today, it can't make me angry and it won't top the 15 minutes I spent this morning watching that match. And the backstage segments, you know, there's a segment where we've got like a, I don't know, like a spy camera set up in Dusty Rhodes dressing room and he's, you know, getting ready for his match and Dustin's in there and he has what Dusty refers to as 240 burritos delivered. Because if Flair's going to kiss my ass, I'm going to make sure he's got something to remember me by. It's hilarious. <laughs> it was just, uh, it was so dusty. I felt like he was alive and sitting next to me. It was just so perfect. You know, what's interesting too. And I think this speaks to dusty, but if anyone else was in that creative with, I'm going to eat all these burritos. So my butt stinks, we would all just groan like, oh, this is fucking terrible. But somehow. When Dusty does it, it's hilarious, and and we like it. I, I guess that's a testament to Dusty's commitment and his versatility. Dusty Dusty was able to make everything work. You know, supposedly the the polka dots were a rib, and sapphire was a rib, and man, he made all that shit work, and he made this silly burrito stuff. It worked because Dusty did it. There'll never be another like him. Yeah, ever, ever, ever again. Let's talk about the matches here. Uh, Jason Jett is going to pin Kiwi uh, or Kiwi in 12 minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, the former Easy Money here is Jason Jett. You probably remember him from some of those ECW shows. Meltzer would say Jett was playing possum, laying there pretending to be hurt. And when we came off the top rope with an elbow, he moved and delivered the crash landing for the win. Three and three quarter stars. Really a pretty decent opening when you think about you know, the in-ring performance, but I don't think the fans were emotionally invested in Jason jet or Kiwi. I wasn't, uh, and I, I probably watched this back thinking, oh man, I don't really want to watch this because I didn't have any sort of emotional connection with either guy, but boy, maybe that's the key to life. Lowered expectations. Cause my goodness, this was much better than I expected. what did you think? Um, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of managing expectations, yep. but Here's the, you know, here's my resistance to five-star, three-star, two-star, one-star matches. You know, first of all, it's subjective. It's just one person's opinion based right. on what that person happens to like. And I, that's fine. You know, you, you have an opinion, you have an opinion. But too often, I think young young talent, especially, they're, so, they're trying so hard to have that five-star match that they forget the part where you actually have to give a shit. Right. The audience actually has to care. 
the audience actually has to be invested. And if you can't make them invested, I don't care what the fuck you do. You could be the most dynamic performer in the world in terms of your high flying execution and, you know, the moves that you can create the innovation you can come up with. That's all great. But if the audience doesn't give two shits, they don't give two shits and your five star or two star or one star rating doesn't really matter. And this is a perfect example of that. And that is by no means meant to be a critique of these two talents. I happened to want to kill Kiwi when I saw that fucking ridiculous Bozo the Clown hair gimmick he came yeah. out with. But guess what, Eric? That's the intent. Yes. So aside from that reaction, which was smart on Kiwi's part or whoever booked this, the match itself was great. Nobody cared. Yeah. Story, people. Story. No, and real story. Here's my rant of the day. Real story. Not just an excuse, not just something you call a story that's actually an excuse for having a match, because what people do too often in today's environment, not going to name names, is, oh, let's book these two guys together because that'll be a great match. Yeah. And, oh, well, oh, we need to come up with a story. Yeah, we'll get to that. This will be a great match. Let's promote the match. What about the story? Well, we'll, we'll figure that out. And yeah, you have a great match that nobody gives two shits about or makes no emotional sense whatsoever that in a way that people can actually relate and identify with. So this is an example, I think, of some of the problems that are not problems, challenges that exist today for different reasons. You know, back then in 2001, I guess this was, I guess, because nobody in their the involved really knew how to create story or write story. They knew how to shoot angles, but angles are short lives. Angles are meant to be a catalyst for a longer term story, not just a, 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 an excuse not to have actually have a story. We'll shoot hot angle. Then we'll have a match. That's not storytelling folks. It's really not. No matter how much those involved try to convince you that it is, it's not. And this was an example of that from 2001. Great match, great execution, cool moves. Nobody gave a flying fuck about it. Let's just tell the truth. Who do you think is promoting matches just for the sake of matches these days? Everybody. Okay. So it's everybody. Okay. Let's go to the next. I've sat in meetings that went something like, who are we going to book? Who are we going to put on this card? Oh, we'll put these two guys together because you know you're going to get a good match and they're decent characters. Yeah. Story? Ah, we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. And I see, and it doesn't matter. You can, you can look at the wrestling landscape across the board. Are you getting, I mean, you, you tell me, Conrad, you probably watch more wrestling than I do. In fact, I know you do. You couldn't help but to watch more wrestling than I do right, right. now. But do you see good story? Uh, occasionally, but no, I think you're right by and large, but I think that whole approach of, Hey, we know these guys can have a good match. It feels very independent because independent promotions usually, I mean, there are exceptions, but a lot of times they're not booking storyline. They're putting names on a poster or a graphic to get people to get excited about what might happen when the bell rings. So I think independent wrestling relies very, very heavily on matchups and match styles. Uh, but television wrestling to your point should be heavy on story. 
and real story. Yes. You know, story that has great structure and, and is managed appropriately. So you get the important beats of a story. So you're building anticipation. You're, 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 you're integrating all of the elements of any good story, whether it's a movie, a book, a fucking my pillow commercial has more story structure to it than 90% of the wrestling that we see on television today. I mean, it's just, let's, let's, it's frustrating for me because the audience is there. The audience wants to, when I first got into wrestling, when I was in WCW and WWEF was at the top of the game, you know, everybody that came over to WCW is, oh man, they tell such great stories there. They work their stories out a year in advance or six months in advance. It's story, it's story, it's story. And I, I was, you know, I was in WCW at the time where story really didn't matter because everybody involved on the creative side of things came from that weekly territory mentality where it was more hot angle payoff, hot angle payoff, hot angle payoff. Long-term storytelling was something that everybody understood intellectually but didn't know how to do or apply. And it took us a long time to, to get there. And we didn't get there. Till the mid nineties, you know, 95, 96 is when it started really happening. And I'm not suggesting that there weren't good stories in WCW before, but they were more by accident than they were by design. They were more, they had a lot more to do with the talent than the people writing for the talent or booking, if you will. Um, but I think in today's environment, because number one, the sheer magnitude of volume that is required now, you know, you look at the, just how many, I don't even know how many hours of wrestling WWE or television WWE produces anymore. I, it's, it's I a used lot. to know. I don't even know anymore. It's a lot. It's a ton. AEW is producing a shit ton of content. Yeah. Not only in primetime television, but now what they're doing on YouTube. That's a ton. And the sheer volume of what you have to produce sometimes leads to the quality of story and the structure. Those two things go together. You cannot have a good quality story without a formula or structure associated with it. If you do happen to come across a good story that you haven't blueprinted out like you would, you know, launching a rocket, if you don't have a plan you're just getting lucky every once in a while. And I think that's what's missing. You know, you, people can, they can convince themselves all they want that the reason people aren't watching wrestling today is because they're getting all their content in so many different platforms. Fucking blah. It's true to a point. But guess what? There is a lot of great television out there right now that is delivering massive television numbers because they're telling great stories with great characters. And it can be done in wrestling. It can be, in some cases, more easily. And, but it's just not because, and I think it's not because people don't care. It's not because people don't necessarily don't have the talent or access to the talent. It's because everybody's on this fucking treadmill and they're producing so much content that storytelling becomes a casualty. Yeah. And what is good storytelling is now referred to as storytelling, but it's really not because there's no structure to it. There's no arc to it. And when there's no structure and there's no arc, there's no drama. And when there's no drama, there's no passion. 
there's a good match that somebody will give five stars to, but the audience doesn't buy in emotionally. And that's the part that's missing too often. Probably everywhere. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. Hey, SaveWithConrad.com has been saving people money everywhere, all across the map. Justin up in Kernersville, North Carolina, left us a five-star review, and he said, Jimmy and Jennifer were amazing. The process was very clearly communicated, and I knew the status of my loan every step of the way. I was able to cut a point and a half from my interest rate and save $180 a month. It was an extremely smooth transaction and completely stress-free. Kudos to you guys. Now, kudos to you, Justin, for hearing our commercials here on the podcast and deciding, you know what? This is worth a shot. It's no cost. It's no obligation. I don't need perfect credit. And if they can't save me money, they won't waste my time. So what am I waiting for? Justin did it, and he's saving 180 bucks a month. How much money can you save? Find out right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. And oh yeah, we're licensed in more than 40 states. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender, savewithconrad.com. Probably going to piss some people off uh, asking your opinion about this, but when they, when AEW just debuted big show the other day on social media, I couldn't help, but think "Mm, if this was the Monday night wars and Eric had landed a talent like that. There wouldn't have been an announcement on social. It just would have been a big surprise. And I thought about your Sarsa thing that you talk about all the time. And one of those S's is surprise. Do you think they hurt themselves with the way they debuted big show? And then they, they teased a big announcement. We've got got a major signing and then it was revealed to be Christian online. A lot of fans were critical of that saying that it was a letdown because Teasing it was a big surprise, led a lot of people to believe. I can't believe I read this, but people were saying, Oh, it's John Cena. Oh, it's CM Punk. Oh, it's Brock Lesnar. And when it was Christian, I think some fans were disappointed. And I don't think those fans really appreciate his in ring. And, and so I think Christian's one of the more criminally, he's this generation's like Arn Anderson or Bobby Eaton or whatever. Um, but I couldn't help but think back in the Nitro days, that guy just would have showed up and it would have been a surprise. You wouldn't have announced that you had anything, whether it was a name or even that you had an announcement, right? Yeah. I want to be careful here and I'm, and I'm not going to, you know, put on the kids gloves because of our relationship, both yours and mine with AEW or WWE for that matter. Sure. Cause I have a ton of respect for a ton of people in both organizations but we have to be honest with our listeners. We have to be honest with ourselves. We can't come off as shills or be shills. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest, but I'm going to try not to be critical. Um, I was disappointed for Christian. Yeah. In particular, Christian, because I agree with you. You know, when you, and this is the, the art, this is where the art of being a promoter comes in. It's not cut and dry. It's not building blocks. It's not assembly, right? It's an art. And the art, and this is where instinct comes in. And part of it is experience, but mostly it's instinct and feel. Managing expectations, first of all, creating an expectations, creating expectations, or creating anticipation, therein lies the art in promotion. Making people want to see 
making people want to feel. That's the art part of, I think, the biggest part, component of being successful in anything, in, in, in entertainment. And managing anticipation or expectation, and they're kind of one and the same in some respects, but managing that anticipation or expectation is the most important thing you can do when you're planning for a big moment, whether that's a big event, a big main event match, a introducing a new character. You want to get people excited about it, but you have to manage that because if you make the mistake of whoa, I can't wait. And you, you, you fail to manage the velocity of all that enthusiasm and you deal under deliver this much based on unrealistic expectations, by the way, that you've created, you have created those unrealistic expectations. And when you aren't able to fulfill them, it's a letdown and that's a reality. It doesn't matter what business you're in. If you opened a fucking hot dog stand and said, you're coming out with the world's greatest hot dog and that hot dog happened to be really damn good, but it's not the greatest hot dog in the world. Right. It's not going to change your life. People are going to go, eh, it's just another hot dog. Yeah. Which is really unfortunate. Yeah. And I think that's what happened with Christian in particular, because he's, you know, going to be an in-ring performer. And that's a little different category. Had Christian just shown up oh, in an impactful way without any advertisement, without any promotion, without any expectation or anticipation, guess what would have happened? He would have been the hottest topic of conversation yes. for the next six months. Well, two months. He would have been trending on Twitter and it would have been the conversation everyone was having. Like, And everybody would have looked at Chris, the audience would have looked at Christian from an entirely different perspective or angle. Yeah. Holy shit. Because they would have been getting something that they didn't expect yeah. or anticipate. The AEW would have over delivered on yes. expectations instead of creating an unrealistic one and then under delivering. That's experience and it's instinct. And you have to understand the audience. You have to understand the risks when you introduce somebody like that or create these big moments that you're intentionally raising expectations about. Big Show is a little bit different because I don't think, I don't know. I didn't talk to him a great deal about this a little bit. You know, I, I don't think you know, Big Show, I think, is going to be more of an on-camera personality as opposed to an in-ring personality. Right. So, well, yeah, a little bit different. But there again, I think there, you know, could have been a different way to introduce him that would have had more impact than an interview with Tony Schiavone. I'm just, and I can't help it. And I don't, again, I'm not being critical. I, I have the luxury of not having my balls on the line yes, or my own money on the line, yeah, which is a really safe and comfortable place to be. But I have to be honest, you know, when you ask the question. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think they're both going to have great runs and do great things, but I just couldn't help, but remember the surprise aspect of your Sarsa formula. When, when I saw that and thought, mm, Eric might've done that a little differently. Well, I think, you know, the same is true. The same 
I think thing kind of happened with the main event match at AEW. It was, I mean, I, I, I called you and said, you know, I don't normally, you know, the idea of being interested, you know, what I refer to derisively as a gimmick match. And I, yeah. I shouldn't because it's disrespectful uh, and I don't mean to be, it's just shorthand vernacular, sure. sure. but vernacular, there's another word vernacular. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I went out of my way. I wanted to watch that match because from a producer's perspective, man, you've built this thing up. Yeah. Holy shit. You've got everybody's attention, including mine, which is pretty hard to get with a match like this. You, by the you way. got, and by the way, let's give them kudos for that. AW got Eric Bischoff to come out of pocket and buy a pay-per-view. That's not that something Eric often. Bischoff it, does. You know, it, it does happen occasionally, but. I specifically for this match. Yeah. Cause I wanted to see how they were going to pull it off. And again, they did a great job of raising the expectation and the anticipation, and they did a poor job of execution flat out. It is what it is now. Now. And I respect Tony Khan. I like Tony. Yeah. Uh, this is not a, you know, Moxley and Omega phenomenal job match wise. Yes. Great performance. But it's like putting, you know, a bunch of great actors in a, in a, in a movie and it's a 120 minute movie and the 118 minutes of it were fantastic. And the last two minutes suck. Guess what people are going to talk about walking out the door. The last two minutes. They're going to talk about the suckage. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They're not going to talk about the great performances that happened, you know, 20 minutes into the movie. So it's unfortunate, but again, I think learning how to manage expectations and, and not just manage them, control them. Make them work for you, not against you. There, that's the best way. You got to do some fucking ninja jujitsu shit with anticipation and expectations. You can't just throw shit out there and go, "Wow, everybody's going to get excited." Yeah, they're going to get excited. You need to think about the other side of that. Well, let's uh, let's get to match two here on greed. As we've taken all of our sidebars here, uh, this is the match it's of the be night. A four hour show today, Conrad. <laughs> it's Elix Skipper and Kid Romeo. They're becoming the first WCW Cruiserweight Tag Team Champions. They pick up a win over Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman. Uh, Meltzer would say this was another last minute change to the cruiserweight team tournament. Uh, Rey Mysterio jr. And Billy Kidman had been told all along. They were getting the titles, including they were given a finish where they went over the day of the show, but the word got out that it was changing at the last minute. And while both were very upset about it, they were professional enough not to let it affect the quality. Lots of near falls ending with Mysterio jr. Doing. Uh, a, a spectacular Cubrata into the ring, but Romeo caught him and gave him the last kiss, a version of a tombstone pile driver or a Northern lights bomb. Um, Mysterio jr. And Kidman probably looked the best they had in a long time. And Romeo showed potential to be a cruiserweight superstar down the line with his work and charisma four stars. So some shenanigans, as you like to say about changing the finish, Boy, these belts, let's talk about that first. Are these the ugliest WCW belts ever? They got to be near the top of the list. You're the expert on belts, brother. Dude, these you, things it, suck. If you say it, I believe it. But the match itself, I mean, Elix Skipper, you and I both think a lot of and think he was criminally underrated. Kid Romeo, this is sort of his coming out party. I was glad to see Elix Skipper get a title, even if it was the very last WCW pay-per-view. Uh, what did you think of the match? Probably the best match on the show, huh? I didn't think it was the best match of the show. I guess if, if you're, you know, if your thing is, you know, all technical and execution, 
pretty much the best match on the show. Yeah. Story, drama in the match. Um, it was just great moves to me. There, there, there was just nothing behind it that got me excited about it other than watching Ray and Kidman together. And in Elix, I've always liked the Elix skipper, Kid Romeo. I, just, I wasn't buying it to me. And it, this is unfair. And it's, but I'll say it anyway. It's just looking back now, however many years later, 20 years later, yeah. Kid Romeo, I think, was a stereotypical jacked up wannabe you know he had great talent don't get me wrong he, he was great but he never really got over and he was it's kind of like diamond dallas page in a way he was doing his version of diamond dallas page to get himself over you know, the gold chain and the whole thing and I just think eh, nothing unique there was nothing special about him he had a good physique he he he, he could perform in the ring he had great execution i just didn't care he, uh, he really did. I thought, man, this guy's going to do something somewhere. I thought for sure. Somebody would pick him up. He bounced around. You know what turned me off Conrad? I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. I was just, but I, I hate to, you know, be negative, I guess about somebody like that. And I don't mean it to be negative. It just, you're asking my opinion. I have to be honest. Um, what turned me off to him. And I just, this second realized it yeah. is when I see guys get into a match and they're constantly doing this. God, come on, come on, help me get over. Help me when they're begging for a reaction. You piss me off so bad. You're never going to get over with me when you do that. It's such an amateur. It's a pet peeve of yours. It's more than a pet peeve. I will turn the fucking channel and never turn it back on again. If I see that kind of stuff, if you're on TV and I see you doing that, you're telling me that you really have no confidence in yourself. You really don't know how to get the crowd behind you. When you come out there and beg for it, I, I just, I feel pity, not excitement. Well, I like when we get you fired up. And I also like that you said, you know, the guy was a jacked up wannabe who never got over. And then later, like 13 seconds later, you know, I don't mean to be rude. I didn't mean that. <laughs> I know I got to curtail myself, <laughs> but I, but I get emotional you know, and it sounds like I'm, I don't mean it to be negative. You, I, you I have, don't, but you have low key heat with kid Romeo. You didn't like him. I got I, it. No, I didn't know. I didn't dislike him. I didn't know him. I, I didn't know him at all. Uh, it's just, but you ask me when I'm watching this match <laughs> this morning, I'm going, eh, yeah, he can do great shit. But number one, I don't care about him. Number two, he's begging me for shit. I don't like that. It pisses me off. I love you for that. Let's talk about the next match here. Uh, it starts with the very beautiful Stacy Keebler out here cutting a promo. Uh, and she brings out Sean Stasiak. And every time I see Stacy Keebler on WCW programming, I'm reminded of how much I hate your guts. Just so you know. Uh, but she brings out Sean Stasiak. Stasiak does his best to cut a promo. I'm not sure that anybody really cared. They were just all in on Stacy. And here comes Bam Bam Bigelow in a t shirt. It's a shame to see Bam Bam at the end of his career like this, because once upon a time, that was a moving son of a bitch. He still uh, is in this match. He looked great. I mean, he may not have been at the, the peak of his game here. Clearly he still moved yes. like a 180 pounder. I've never seen a big man with such quick feet in my life. 
his footwork was spectacular. His he I one of the best big men of all time. He left Stasiak in the dust on this match, in my opinion. I just I I don't to me, Bam Bam Bigelow, I remember as a guy who was near the top of the card in the WWF, who main evented WrestleMania against Lawrence Taylor, who was the ECW world champion, and I know you have your own opinion about that. And now here he is in the third match on the card, wrestling in a t-shirt. It's like, oh man. Um, but either way, I get that. I get that. The finish sees, uh, Stacy Keebler distract the referee. Stasiak's going to use hairspray to the eyes and hit a neck breaker for the pin. Uh, Stacy and, uh, Stasiak do a little lewd demonstration in the ring after the match. According to Meltzer, half a star. What do you think? Stasiak? I think he's compared to being a young Lex Luger here in the observer. Is that hard to poke holes in? I mean, he looks great, but as Bruce likes to say, then the bell rang. Um, yeah, there was something about Stasiak. I mean, he had all the ingredients, right? Yes, very much so. And his work in the ring was certainly not stellar, but it was more than adequate. Of course. It was good. Maybe not great, but pretty damn good. Kind of moving him up the chart a little bit as I go. Um, but but what's missing? Something Something's missing. And I don't know quite what it was, whether yeah. it was the look. I think a lot of it had to do with. Again, his promo, his promo in this thing sucked, just sucked. And it, it took away from him. There are certain people that you should allow to talk, encourage to talk, develop as orators. There's another word orator. (laughs) There's people that can handle dialogue and narrative. And there's people who just can't. Sometimes it's just the tone of their voice just doesn't match the image that you're trying to create again it's art it's not science you can't teach it unfortunately sometimes so you it's talent and it's like people that are you know virtuosos another word fuck we're just like word soup here today it's like people that are really good at playing the cello yeah. you know in the boston philharmonic orchestra or the flute these are people that just have this weird gift that nobody else really was given and sometimes people don't have that gift, but they keep trying to, and they'll never play the flute or the cello or cut a good wrestling promo. And unfortunately, in the case of professional wrestling, when you go out there, you could have the best look in the world. You can be adequate or good or better than good. And the minute you grab that mic, you shit yourself in front of millions of people and they'll never get over it. You'll never get it back. And I think that was the case with Stasiak. He just wasn't good on the mic and they should not have given him one, at least not for prolonged interviews. Comments, yes. You know, get your perspective on something in and out, 30 seconds or less. Yes. Give me two minutes on the mic. Never. Let's talk a little bit about uh, a segment I skipped over here. Buff Bagwell checks in with uh, Ric Flair. And in the back, we see a skit with Ric Flair in like a Hawaiian shirt talking to Animal, who's got street clothes on, but face paint. And Buff Bagwell's there and they're yucking it up. And it's sort of shot like a fan cam. Like we're not supposed to be seeing it, but we are. That whole thing was a miss for me. What'd you think? Yeah, it was garbage. It, it it felt like thunder. It didn't feel like a pay-per-view 
Does that make sense? It made no sense. It served no purpose. Nothing was achieved. It didn't move a storyline forward. It didn't give you any new information. It served absolutely no purpose other than to fill time. Let's talk about the, uh, the segment that happens right after the Stasiak match. We see Elix Skipper and kid Romeo celebrate their win. They put the, uh, the belts on each other. It almost feels a little bit like, Stupid. A, like a Saturday night live skit. Uh, back in that era, they had the ambiguously gay duo and it was tremendous where you've got these two superheroes who are sort of flirting with the line of, Hey, what's going on there. And that's sort of what this segment felt like to me, but I don't know that it necessarily helped either guy sort of quote unquote, get over. It's just sort of there. It not only did not help them get over it, buried them. Yeah. It, it was embarrassing. I, I was embarrassed for both of them. It happened 20 years ago. I get it. I shouldn't be embarrassed anymore. I should let these things go. These things should not matter to me. I opened the show by saying I'm no longer emotionally involved. And here I am getting emotionally involved in the stupidity that was this backstage segment that served no purpose whatsoever. It did not build the characters in a positive way. It didn't put heat on them. It didn't advance the story. It didn't build anticipation. It didn't do anything. It was a waste of fucking tape. Well, it wasn't tape. It was live, but nonetheless, it was a waste. And I think it was a reflection of the people that were writing this show. It was just, why do it? Who came up with an idea that said, I know we'll make these two guys will look like jackasses and 12 year old kids who just, you know, won a belt for the first time in your life. And they'll be so excited about it. And they won't know how to put it on themselves. So they'll put it on each other. That'll be really good TV. What? Whatever. The next match is Lance storm and Mike awesome an underrated tag team, uh, taking on Conan and Hugh Morris. They get plenty of time, 11 and a half minutes. Meltzer's pretty critical of it though. He says, a lot of timing problems. Storm at one point did this high drop kick and missed noticeably on Conan, who still sold it. At another point, Awesome delivered a pile driver, but Conan got his head out of the way much too early. Although Conan has had neck injuries in the past from similar moves, the finish would see Morris on top for the moonsault, but Awesome recovers, grabs him, and delivers a running Awesome bomb for the pin. Half a star. These guys are old school vets, great in-ring performers, but the match, and this just happens sometimes, was a bit of a miss. What do you think watching this one back? I mean, I noticed some of the same things. It was sloppy on occasions, and I get that. Um, my takeaway, though, was that Conan looked really good in white shoes. I don't know why. I guess because I've never seen anybody wear white high tops to the ring. But Conan, somehow, he wore it well. And I thought Conan looked pretty good in this match. You know, Conan was capable. Conan was hot and cold. You know, he was probably more of a character. You could always depend on Conan's character. He'd almost always deliver 100% in terms of his character. Um, His matches were, depending on who he was in the ring with and what the chemistry was, I would say 70, 30, 70% of the time, he'd get a really good solid performance. 30% of the time, not so much. This was that 30%. And I don't know, you know, were they trying to cram too much in? Was it 10 pounds of shit in an eight pound bag? Maybe that was part of it. Could have been chemistry. Um, But I will say other than Conan's white shoes, which I thoroughly dug, 
Uh, Conan, if you're listening, you should always wear those white high tops. I'm telling you, <laughs> you'll get another run if you do. Um, Hugh Morris was amazing. Yeah. Kind of like Bam Bam Bigelow for a guy that big. I mean, Hugh's, I mean, you can look at Hugh and go, wow, he's a big son of a bitch, right? But he was actually heavier than he looked because he was a dense, strong, powerful cat. So he may have looked like he was 275. He was probably all of 300, and he moved like he was 160. What an amazing guy. What an amazing performer he was. That was my takeaway. I didn't, like, critique the match and judge the match and all that. I should, I guess, maybe. But that's not why I watch wrestling. I, I, when I do these shows, it's like, how do they make me feel? Right. How did this match make me feel? Did it make me feel good? Was I entertained? Did it make me want to see them again next week? Or is it just a match for the sake of a match? I like this match because I thought Conan looked good despite some of the timing issues. And I was so impressed with you, Morris. I can't wait to see his next match. Let's uh, talk about the next segment here. This is the uh, Dusty and Dustin skit backstage where they're preparing for their match and have the burritos delivered. And then we've got Buff Bagwell talking with Rick Steiner and then Palumbo and O'Hare getting ready for their match back to back to back sort of talking head segments. Uh, is this, is this a good formula for pay-per-view? I mean, no. Okay. No, it's just filling holes. Yes. There's no story. There's no flow. There's no anything. It's just, oh, we needed an interview here. Let's plug it in here. Well, we got two more promos. Where, where are we going to put the, I'll just put them back to back. Cause yeah, just do that. It's just lazy, sloppy. The next match that we see is, uh, Shane Helms capturing the cruiserweight title from Chavo Guerrero jr. In 13 minutes and 57 seconds, the finish saw Guerrero jr. Go for the vertebraker, which is really the, uh, gory special, uh, invented by his grandfather, but Helms reverses it and uses it to set up the pin. Three stars is the rating here. I know you both, you think the world of both of these guys, hurricane, I think is one of the most fun follows in all of wrestling Twitter. What'd you think watching this one? I was disappointed. I think, and again, we, you know, we talked about expectations earlier on and anticipation when I saw this, you know, when I knew we were going to see this match coming up and I sat down early this morning to watch it, I was really looking forward to this match because you're absolutely right. There's not a lot of people out there today that I respect more than Shane Helms and Chavo in terms of what they did during this era. Um, both of them are phenomenal talent. They were phenomenal talents and probably still are, but I don't think this match lived up to either of their potentials or capabilities. Um, I think Shane sugar, Shane Helms got a hell of an entrance. Yes. That was the best part of the match for him was the entrance, the match again for the average performer or the above average performer. This was a great match for Shane Helms. And Chavo, eh, eh, not so much. After the match, we get Ric Flair and Jeff Jarrett, uh, cutting a promo to dusty Rhodes. Again, it's sort of shot in that fan cam. Look, it's weird to see flair with this. I don't know how you would describe this haircut. He's sporting at the time in a Hawaiian. He looked shirt. just like David flair. Yeah. When David, when David flair was banging Stacy, when they were like, <laughs> when they were bumping boots back in the day. 
that David Flair had that same kind of spiky, really cool. I mean, it was a popular look back in the day, right? And if you look at Ric Flair on this episode, every time I see him, I go, God, he looks so much like David Flair used to look. But yeah, between the spiky hair and the Hawaiian shirt, you know, we're also used to seeing Rick in a suit. Yes. I think he sleeps in a suit. He does. He's always in a suit. And he comes out looking like Don fucking Ho, you know, like he's going to, you know, host a luau on Kauai. It's like, what the hell? Where's, where's Rick? Who took Rick in his suit and brought this guy in here who looks like Rick? But yeah, it was a little weird seeing him in the Hawaiian shirt just because we're so used to seeing him in his suit and looking so dapper. But uh, I love this anyway. I mean, I just thought it was so entertaining and so much fun. Pardon the interruption, but I wanted to tell you real quickly about two of the best ways to support 83 Weeks. One is to pick up a shirt from ericbischoff.com. Another is to grab a gimmick from boxagimmicks.com. It's the official store of 83 Weeks. Not only does this support the show financially, but you get to show off your fandom to others, helping spread the word about one of the best podcasts around. So check out ericbischoff.com and boxagimmicks.com. And thank you for listening to 83 Weeks. Uh, next up, it's a, a promo from Booker T talking about facing Rick Steiner, then a little video recap of totally buffs issues with Palumbo and O'Hare, and then a promo from buff and Lex Luger. They're calling themselves totally below, uh, totally buff. The match itself goes 54 seconds. O'Hare and uh, Palumbo retain. And here's the write-up from the observer. The biggest story backstage involved Luger and Bagwell who have greatly hurt whatever slim chances. Bagwell and virtually no chance Luger of being picked up by the WWF with their reaction to being asked to put over Palumbo and O'Hare both complained loudly about it to the point. Most wrestlers thought they were babies and the way they stormed out of the building after the meeting to go to the gym made a lot of people think they're not coming back. The match itself was booked for eight minutes and was supposed to be O'Hare pinning Luger with the Sinton bomb clean. Instead, after doing a lengthy interview, which was on the script, they went into business for themselves and did a spot where they knocked each other out and laid down for O'Hare to do his move on both of them and pin Luger in 54 seconds. Then both oversold the effects of it for several minutes, including Bagwell, trying to spoof his legitimate neck injury by not moving. Both men laid in the ring motionless while people at home were watching a video package, building up cat versus Canyon, almost doing a caricature of being paralyzed, which came off to the fans live as a blatant exposure of the business. And then the, ah. when the cameras were back on Bagwell moved, teasing a reoccurrence of his famous neck injury, most of the wrestlers and virtually all of the agents were furious. This is a great way to impress whoever is thinking of hiring you next. And Alex, a special note, thanks to all you've done in your career, or at least the latter stages, particularly at the bitter end with this company through its own stupidity made you a millionaire negative one star. So Meltzer is pretty hot about it. This is really fucking weird and feels out of place. I'm sure you heard some rumor and innuendo from the back. What do you remember about that? I don't remember anything about the nonsense in the back or any of the crap that what's his name wrote. I just, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I guess it may have, um, who knows? I, I didn't land on my lap. I wasn't aware of it. And here's, what's really interesting. After listening to what's his name's report and, and editorial, first of all, the fact that Dave Meltzer would suggest that anybody should be criticized for exposing the business. Are you kidding me? Has anybody exposed the business more than what's his name? 
not only by covering what's real, but by making up shit that isn't. Come on. Um, it, it's laughable. But because I didn't know any of that editorial from what's his name prior to watching this this morning, I'll just give you my honest take. And I'm going to forget everything that what's his name just wrote or what he wrote back then. My takeaway was fucking Sean O'Hare looks awesome. Yeah. These two guys just got over. Lex and Buff were heels. And these two young guys came in and hammered them and had their way with them in 54 seconds. And Sean Hill O'Hare looks awesome. And I can't wait to see him again. Yeah. If 95% of the audience that watched this match had a similar, not exact, but similar reaction, I thought it was a good booking. Thought it was important. You're getting two guys over. Sean O'Hare looked awesome. So did Palumbo. To get two guys like O'Hare and Palumbo who deserve to get over. Sure. Over in a powerful way against two established characters in Lex and Buff Bagwell in 54 seconds. I'm not against it. Now, add what's his name's soap opera, fantasy soap opera, or if, in fact, some of it was true, I don't know. None of that matters because the people at home don't care or don't know or don't believe it anyway. They're, mostly they don't know. They're just watching what I watched this morning without hearing your version of what What's-His-Name said. And my reaction was, fuck, O'Hare and Palumbo look awesome here. What a good opportunity for them to get over. What if that was the intent? What if all of what's his name's garbage is just that? It's just his garbage to sell his $10 a roll toilet paper. Well, I don't know that that makes sense. I mean, there's been lots of stuff, and I, I get what you're saying, but there's been lots of stuff written about the fact that these guys were just uncooperative towards the end of WCW. Would you disagree and with that? That could us? be. I mean, I, I, you, I, I, you don't remember hearing that? It could be true. By the way, I had a great conversation with Lex Luger yesterday. One of the best conversations I've had in a long, long time is really fun. So shout out to Lex Luger, but we can't leave us hanging. What's going on? Is he good? No, it's just, yeah, he's great. Good. I, I think Lex Luger is happier. And when I say healthier, I mean, in the bigger picture, yes, I think he's happier and healthier now than he's ever been in his life. He's like, Absolutely. A- it was a joy to talk to him. I felt better about myself after talking to him. I felt I felt better about the future after talking. That's how positive he is. He likes to rim like up when he comes in like that. Yeah. I'd, I'll, I'll probably be calling him once a week from now on. <laughs> I, get a little, I get a little crabby, get a little anxious. I'm going to give Lex a call. Um, no, he's doing great. And we didn't talk about anything in specific. It yeah. was just, Hey, I haven't talked to you in a long time. How the hell are you? He called oh, you or you call man. him? Huh? He called you or you call him? Uh, I called him. Uh, he didn't have a voicemail, so I DM'd him, and then he called me back. That's pretty rare. You're not a big pick up the phone, call, and chat. No, guy. I am not. Yeah. Anybody that knows me knows that to be true. Yeah. I love my brother and sister dearly. I talk to them maybe once or twice a year on the phone. Yeah. Now, I'll drive 1,200 miles to go hang out with them. That's different. And eat a hot dog and drink a beer in the summer. I'll do that. Yeah. Before I'll pick up a phone and call them. Yeah. It's just me. But I just felt like I wanted to talk to Lex. Been a while. Anyway, I look, 
Sure. You know, Buff's got a history, you know, Lex has got a history on and off. We've all got histories on and off about being difficult in one way, shape or form. Sure. And I'm not saying it wasn't true. I'm just saying from my perspective as a guy who watched this match this morning, none of it mattered. I think the match was fun to watch. I was really excited about Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo. And it just proves my point that nothing that anybody writes about the backstory really matters. It's what you see on TV. Next up, we've got cat and Canyon. They go 10 and a half minutes. Uh, gets a star in three quarters. This is just sort of there for me. I love both of these performers, but I don't know. I just wasn't feeling it for some reason. what do you think? Yeah, there, there was a, it was a, a flatness again. I'll chalk it up to lack of emotion and story. Everything, nothing to me, nothing on the show was really bad, but nothing was really good either. Except for go. the Dustin dusty, you know, flair stuff. I thought that was phenomenal as entertainment, but everything else was like good, but not great. And this match too. And you know how I feel about Ernest Miller. He's I love Ernest. He's a very, very good friend of mine. And by the way, he's working on a special with a and E. Um, karate kids of Atlanta, and it looks like it's going to get picked up. At least I hope it will. So Ernest Ernest does a lot with the kids in his community, uh, in martial arts. He's really, really a good human being. So I'm grateful to know him and I'm grateful to have given him an opportunity in WCW. And I'm looking down at my notes here because at one hour, 50 minutes and 14 seconds, Ernest, the cat Miller delivers a jump 360 round kick that would kill if it would have landed a little differently, it would have created all kinds of damage and Ernest executed it perfectly. It looked great on TV. Canyon did not get hurt at all. In fact, he did it again later on in the match. I just didn't mark the time code, but if you want to, you know, you see a lot of guys throwing kicks, you know, we hear a lot about the leg slaps and, you know, some guys know how to throw a sidekick. Other people just imitate what they see on TV Ernest knew how to throw them and make them look good at the same time without hurting anybody, which is really hard to do, especially when you're a big guy. You know, Ernest was a good, he was a solid 240, maybe more. And he could still jump and have speed and accuracy with his kicks that I've never seen before from people that weigh 150 and 160 pounds. Really, really good stuff. But that's one move, or or at least there was another one later on in the match. It didn't really, this match didn't live up to the expectation and the anticipation that I had for it because both Canyon and Ernest Miller had the potential of being better than we saw in this match. Next up, we've got, uh, Booker T winning the U S title from Rick Steiner in about seven and a half minutes. Meltzer would say Rick did a release German suplex and went for the kill, but Shane Douglas came out with a cast and hit Steiner. Uh, and then T did his bookend, which is a rock bottom uh, that gets the pin star, or I'm sorry, a quarter star. So he's pretty negative on this. We both think the world of Booker T and Rick Steiner. I don't know that the interference was necessary here on pay-per-view, but it is what it is. What'd you think? It was what it was. I'm with you. It just, it was filler. It didn't do either Booker or Steiner any good. It, it didn't do him any harm but it didn't do him any good either. It was just there. 
all I can really say about it. Spin really looked awesome. Yeah. People love seeing it. I love the intensity of Booker's promo that we saw a little earlier on. Booker does great promos. He's, he's magic on the mic. Um, but the match itself was just there. It was filler material. Next up, what we've been talking about all day. It's Dusty and Dustin on one side, Flair and Jarrett on the other. Uh, for some reason, Flair wrestles the match in slacks and the Hawaiian shirt. We've seen him in the back. Uh, Tony would point out that uh, the two had never taken on each other on pay per view, but he did talk about their famous Starcade matches 16 and 17 years prior. Fans are popping huge seeing Dusty and who's wrestling in jeans, but he's got his knees taped up around the jeans on the outside, which is kind of fun. Um, this is good stuff, man. I mean, I'm sure you could break down and be technical and poke holes in it, but if you're looking for emotion and nostalgia and for the fans to be bought in, I don't know that it could be much better than this. Uh, Dustin Pence flair with one of the sloppiest looking inside cradles ever. That's directly from the observer. <laughs> oh my gosh. Meltzer must've been pulling his hair out. It was a sloppy looking inside. cradle. Oh my God. The world's coming to an end. Turner's not fusion's not going to buy WCW because of that sloppy inside cradle. I'm sure executives all over AOL time. Warner were up in arms. Oh my God. It's horrible. What a great line this is right here, though. After the match, Dusty pulled down his pants to reveal what could be called briefs, but not in his case, and gave Jarrett the Rikishi stink face two and a quarter stars. It is kind of crazy to think that the only, and by the way, I know we're going to get people asking about this on Twitter. When Starcade happened way back in the day with Flair and Dusty, it was a closed circuit business. So you would go down to the theater or something like that, or your local arena. And they would have the show piped in on a big screen, but you couldn't actually just, you know, fart in your couch cushion and click a button on your remote and watch it. So this is technically their first match on pay-per-view, but it's sort of fitting that their last WCW pay-per-view has got flair standing across the ring from dusty. I loved it from a nostalgia standpoint. I know you did too. Anything else to say or add to this match? Dusty Rhodes was the consummate character performer. Yeah. You know, you think Dusty could have a five-star match? Could Dusty ever do a Hurricane Rada? No. Could Dusty ever do half the shit? Could Dusty ever do 2% of the shit that guys are doing today? When I say shit, I don't mean it to sound that way. Could Dusty do 2% of the incredibly athletic display that we see each and every week? Nope. Could Dusty control the emotion of an audience in the palm of his hand without ever really trying? Absolutely. That's what the business needs today. Dusty was, and Rick, not taking anything away from Rick here. Of course. They're one and the same, in my opinion, in this match. Our main event. This is, my, this is this is a perfect illustration of why I get hot over certain things that other people write about when we refer to it in this show, because none of that matters, folks. If you're a fan of the product today, don't pick it apart. Don't analyze it based on technical execution. Right. Just ask yourself how you feel. There you go. Do you enjoy watching it? Does it make you glad you took the time out of your night or day or whatever 
just sit down and watch it. Can you kind of forget about your job or forget about your personal challenges or forget about bad weather or fucking COVID or whatever it is, whatever else you need to forget about. Can you escape and just enjoy watching wrestling because the stories are kind of fun and the characters are fun. If the answer to that is yes, then ignore all the rest of the shit because none of it matters in real life. Right. The only thing that matters is how you feel, not how you think. If you want to think, watch a documentary. But if you want to feel and and be in just escape, then enjoy the product for what it is, not for what some jerk off in his basement tells you it should be that's never been in the business and doesn't really understand it. Dusty Rhodes was great. Ric Flair was awesome. Hey, let's not forget Jeff Jarrett, who I think worked, in in my opinion, I think Jeff put on a display here that was one of the better ones I've seen out of Jeff during this period of time. Jeff looked freaking awesome. Jeff worked hard for everybody. Um, And he looked awesome in this match. Dustin did a great job. Sloppy inside cradle. Oh, my God. But it was awesome. The emotion created in this match won the entire pay-per-view. Sent everybody home happy. And that's what it's all about. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it's a ton of work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy. Super easy. To bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto insurance. And it's a good thing, too, because you've already got so much to do around your house and keeping things moving. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much money you can save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. You'll be glad you did. And the big man, Conrad, will be proud of you for saving that money. Unfortunately, a lot of people did leave before the main event got in the ring. Scott Steiner is going to retain the WCW title, defeating Diamond Dallas Page in 14-14. Meltzer would say, as for Steiner, his back was killing him all week, but he gutted his way through the match. Scott's going to clock Page with a belt shot to the head. Page is bleeding like crazy. There's puddles coming from his head uh, before he uh, kicks out of the pen. Steiner gets a Boston Crab. Page gets the rope break. Uh, Steiner gets the recliner, but yet another rope break. Finally, Steiner hits page over and over in the back with a lead pipe and put on the recliner for the submission. He continues to beat up page after the match and everyone quote unquote knew it was a setup for Goldberg to come back. And then the show ended three and a half stars. So kudos to uh, Scott for powering through despite him having a bad back here. But man, the silliness of, we can't just beat him with our finish or even a belt shot. We've got to use a lead pipe. Anytime I see a lead pipe, I think of that old board game clue. And I'm like, oh, it was Colonel mustard with a lead pipe in the library. This is silly shit. That's not necessary. Scott Steiner. Look at him. That motherfucker shouldn't need a lead pipe, right? I agree with you hundred percent. I know how that conversation probably went. I can guess how it probably went. Um, you know what the, the the biggest mistake in this match was is positioning. Yes. If this match would have been the semi-main, people would have felt entirely differently about it. Yep. It would have served its purpose. I could have done without the lead pipe. A, a clean heat finish would have been fine in this case. They could have pummeled Paige to the point of oblivion if, if they needed to get heat on Scott. That would have been fine. Taking it to the lead pipe 
you know, elevation was unnecessary and kind of took me out of the moment like it did you just because we know it was just, okay, well, what's after the lead pipe? Oh, let's stuff a grenade up his ass. No, that's not enough. That wouldn't really kill him. He's really that tough. Oh, I know. I saw a tractor out in the parking lot. Let's let's run a tractor over him. No, that's not good enough. Let's come, come on. There's a point where you just got to let your ego take a nap and just let it end in a natural way with heat. That's fine. But I think if this match would have been semi-main instead of main, we'd be having a different conversation. Same lead pipe conversation, but the match would have been, people would have felt differently about it. Because you didn't send anybody home happy, did you? No. You put you put heat on your baby face. That's not how you want to end a pay-per-view. That's kind of like one-on-one. You don't want to do that. Not that I haven't fucked that up, because I have. But you know, you kind of learn from that when you see other people make that mistake, you can learn from their mistake too. You don't have to do the mistake yourself in order to learn from it. It is possible to look at the mistakes of others and go, okay, well that fucked up. I don't want to do that. And finishing a pay-per-view with heat is just, unless it's really episodic and you've got a really great plan for the next Monday night and there's retaliation heading your way. Okay. I'll listen at that point. But if you don't have that, in your back pocket and you're working towards that moment for television as a follow-up, then you're just, you know, placating egos. And that's probably what it was here. Steiner didn't need a lead pipe. Had that match been on before the dusty flare thing, everybody would have went home happier. Even the people who subscribed to a dirt sheet would have given more thumbs up. Had the pay-per-view ended on a higher note. My opinion could be wrong. Who knows? Hey, let me ask you this. Do you think the main event should always be for the world title? That's been something that's been debated a lot. Like I understand what you're saying that the fans were more into this. And I I sort of think about like WrestleMania 18, where it was Hogan rock and they didn't go on last, but they really stole the show. And then afterwards we had Chris Jericho and triple H try to keep the folks in their seats, but there had been such an adrenaline dump after that match, it's almost impossible to get them back to that peak again. And so much of, you know, what I've heard old timers like Michael Hayes talk about in wrestling is you got to get them to stand up out of their seat and then sit back down. Uh, you know, the, the, the measure of a great match is how many times you can get them to right to the edge. And then, oh, you know, you give it to them. Oh, here it is. No, so you're sort of edging it off. And that's really difficult to do. If you've got a nostalgia act like this with. And I don't mean to be dismissive of flair and dusty when I say that, but fans are emotionally invested there and then maybe a little less. And I think it almost sort of hurts your current product. If, oh man, remember how great wrestling used to be. Oh, and this is what we have now. And so much of that is just story and and identification with the character. And, you know, they take ownership of that character. Do you think that we should throw out the rule book in terms of well, the main event always has to go on the, the, what goes on last always has to be for the world title. The world title always goes on last. Do you subscribe to that or not so much? Not so much. I mean, I, I look, there's no definitive, there's no, it's not a binary choice. It's not either yes or no, right. it's not one or the other. Every situation is going to be a little different, but I, I do think it's fair to say that when you have what flair and dusty represented in this tag match, which was that very special moment, which was that nostalgia. They weren't ever going to wrestle for the world heavyweight title. They weren't part of a title picture or discussion or conversation, or even a fantasy, 
right? So they're in a separate category all to themselves. So do I think it hurts the main event or excuse me, hurts a title match to have it precede a match that, you know, because it's a nostalgia match, everybody's going to go happy based on the finish that you know, you're, you're going to do. I, I don't think it detracts. I, I don't think if this match, this tag match with Dusty and Flair would have been at the end of the match, I don't think it would have taken anything away. In fact, I think it would have taken less away than having the match proceed it. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Because they're two different things. They're two separate things. Now, I think if you did it every pay-per-view or on every television, yeah, you probably would book yourself into a <clears throat> a ditch. But on a one-off situation like this with characters like Flair and Dusty, no, man, it's it's like you're going into a great restaurant. You have a wonderful meal. You're on your way out the door. And the maitre d's, you know, slips you a, a gift certificate to come back next time. That's what that was. That was just a feel-good moment. And I don't think it detracts from a main event or from what would otherwise be a main event by moving it to the end of the night. Well, we're moving on to next week. I'm pretty excited about this because we're paying tribute to uh, one of the great performers of my lifetime and a guy you got to know pretty well over the years, Mr. Kurt Henning. Uh, what do you think we might talk about next week? I don't know, but I'm going to do a fair amount of research. I might even talk to a couple of Kurt's kids. I stay in touch with them from time to time, not, not on a regular basis, but I'm going to talk to them a little bit. I'm going to really try to get to know Kurt better as a human being after talking to his kids and bring that perspective as well. So I'm really, really looking forward to this show. We've got some great stuff coming your way in April too. We're going to talk about spring stampede, 1999. That's when diamond Dallas page won his first world title. We'll also talk about lockdown 2011 from impact. We'll hit slam 96 on the exact 25 year anniversary. And we're doing something kind of cool towards the end of April. Uh, we're going to do a raw watch along. That's right. We're going to have Eric watch raw from April 27th, 1998. And coincidentally later that same week, we'll have Jim Ross watch that week's nitro. Now, why are we looking at that show in particular? That's the day of the DX invasion. And I think it'll be kind of fun for you to actually get to watch that with fans seeing raw from that day. I know you lived it, so I don't know that you needed to watch it. Did you ever see that raw episode? I, I, I never did. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it and, and the discussion about daylight and nighttime and time zones and all kinds of fun shit. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. Well, if you, uh, if you want to hear Eric and I fuss and fight, it sounds like that's coming again real soon. Uh, but man, this was a great episode. I know we were all over the place. I guess I should apologize to our listeners a little bit. We talked a little more current stuff than we normally do. We talked a lot about Crockett and AEW and our experience filming stuff, but I just had such a great week with you last week. I felt like we should acknowledge it and also acknowledge some of the major stuff that had happened, uh, both in the pro wrestling landscape currently and, uh, the passing of a great legend like, uh, Mr. Crockett. And I know you mentioned it a few weeks ago, but it's funny how life works where in a weird way, if Jim Crockett promotions didn't exist, you and I might not be talking right now, right? Who knows what I would have been doing? You know, I mean, that's true. And I never forget that, you know, and, and I encourage my kids to keep that kind of thought process in your head and, and close to your heart because, you know, we're all here because of somebody else. Yeah. No matter 
you know, we're, we're here sometimes by happenstance and by good fortune as much as by our own ambition or intelligence or effort. And it's always good to remember and respect and, and be grateful for the people that made your life possible, whatever you do, whatever job you have, whatever relationship you have, whether it's good or bad, it could have always been worse. And I like to remember, I like to remind myself, had it not been for, you know, because of what I've learned basically by watching the interview that you did with Jim Crockett, if it wouldn't have been for Jim Crockett, I would, there would have been no WCW. There would have been nowhere for me to go after AWA shut their doors. So yeah, I'm always like to be reminded of those things. Well, listen, we want to pay tribute to Mr. Crockett. If you can go check it out over at adfreeshows.com. I'm not trying to shield there. Uh, if you're, if that's not really your deal, at least go to my Instagram. Uh, hey, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson. We're going to put up a tribute video. By the time you hear this, it'll be live. Uh, we want to pay tribute to uh, a great man who left a great impression on a great industry. And if you're a fan of what we're doing right here, I can't recommend it enough. Go check it out. It's free by the way. You don't have to pay to check out my Instagram. It's at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson until next time on Twitter. He is at E Bischoff. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we are out of time. We'll be back next week to talk about all things. Mr. Perfect. Mr. Kerr Henning is our subject next week right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. Hey man, remember those candies as a kid uh, now and laters? Remember those? I used to love those. Well, save with Conrad.com has a now and later story for you right now. Just ask Robert in Wexford PA. He says actually reached out over a year ago, looking into refinancing. Jimmy was great then, but we had the cloud of a reassessment hanging over our head. So we wanted to wait until that was done. Once the reassessment was complete, I shot Jimmy a text message and we picked things back up and we didn't miss a beat. He was able to shave almost four years off of our loan, which is awesome because we just bought this house in 2019 and overall we'll save more than $80,000 off the life of our loan. He's the man. No, nope, I disagree, Robert. You're the man for remembering us here at SaveWithConrad.com. I want to remind you that First Family Mortgage really is here to save you money now and later. We want to be your mortgage advisor for life. You're more than just a loan number to us. And if for some reason we can't help you today, we're going to get a game plan together of how we can save you money in the future. At First Family, our goal is to help families save money now and later. And we do that by getting the cheapest possible monthly payment and cutting years off of their loan. So how's this? Robert got to skip his next two house payments. He's saving money now. And he's going to cut years off of his loan. He's saving money later. And we're ready to help you right now at SaveWithConrad.com. NLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. That's SaveWithConrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.